When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Today's podcast is brought to you by Audible. You can get a free audiobook download and 30-day free trial at www.audibletrial.com slash hidden, H-I-D-D-E-N. Audible has over 180,000 titles to choose from for your iPhone, Android, Kindle, or MP3 player. So, no strings attached. We're giving you a free book. You've heard us talk about how much we love Audible. Go give them a shot. And once again, promo code HIDDEN for audibletrial.com slash hidden. As always, we are sponsored by Illuminatus. Their pre-rolls are made like no other pre-roll out there. And they come in a sativa and indica blend, offering a discreet and satisfying experience every single time. Illuminatus products are always guaranteed to meet all government testing standards. So check them out at illuminatusbrand.com and on Instagram at team underscore Illuminatus. full count in today all got right one, we got two, the full three, four. four today speaking of four round four against uh one mr david wilcock the final round final round yeah fight our our month-long battle comes to an end today um now but as part of this so you've been reading david wilcock's book awakening in the in the dream in which the dream correct was not a new york times bestseller um <laughs> not yet <laughs> yeah, he may jump six thousand spots over the next few weeks uh so you've been reading it and, and summarizing it i have just been reacting every week as you bring it in um so before we record i go back to the previous episode to try and like review yeah keep myself in the loop on yeah. what's going on it's pointless there's there's no sense there's no through line like this it's yeah, just there's, there's no cohesive plot line so if this. anyone's jumping into this you feel free to start here the first episode is 53 and then it's 55 and 57 this will be 59 53 but, 55 57 those are intervals <laughs> of two times three but I I yes, was listening I was listening to the episode and I completely forgot about the fact that we have uh six billion big feet living inside of the earth. Yeah, they're working off their karmic uh, <laughs> responsibilities, bro. Yeah, the gray aliens had like sent Bigfoot into the center of the earth to work off its negative karma for destroying its previous planet. Yeah, pretty much. Pretty so, much. They were I think they were the Martians. Yeah. If I remember correctly. they Mar Marduk, I think was the name of their planet or something. Yeah. Yeah, Marduk. So uh that's the kind of uh hard hitting science we're gonna be talking about today. So so yeah, if you're confused, that's the point. Join the yeah, club. Join the club. None Don't, of this makes sense to us. No. It shouldn't make sense to you. We're trying to reconcile it, but there's there's only so much you can do. There's the man just babbled for six hundred 
something pages. It it just was uh well I I can't say for sure cuz we haven't finished yet. So uh I guess with that being said, let's Yeah, to give a brief preview. This was a hard a hard section to get through. Yeah, before we started recording, you said there were two separate chapters in this portion that made you almost quit reading the book. Yeah, there were two there's there's one or two parts where he just he just talks about nothing. Like just nothing of relevance to anything at all. Even more so than usual. Yeah. Like not just and and on top of that it was just like poor writing. Like it was just like a fifth grade level like paper. <laughs> so it was just on top of not saying anything of value, it was also just written extremely poorly. Huh. I I wonder if he was rushing to finish the book and just... I think he was stretching it, to be honest with you. There's a few instances where he'll write, like, a starting paragraph, and then, like, the last paragraph of the section will be, like, almost the exact same paragraph, just slightly reworded. It's so... I, I think he thinks if the book is longer, it means it's better. I think this is the problem when you don't have a good editor. Yeah, I, people I, underestimate how important good editors are to good writers because a good editor would have come here and gone like, "Hey David, you can you can cut this entire chapter. You're not you're not saying anything, bud." Oh, that was the other thing. Last episode, I did we he just essentially just read someone else's book. Oh, he does it again. It was Oh, he it was, does it again. There was like 60, 70 pages in there of him just doing that Dr. Brown guy who channeled into the future to become the head of the Galactic Federation for Humans. Yeah, yeah, no, we do that again. We do that again. okay, all right. Uh, We see David both at his lowest, and then some of his best chapters in this book. All right, well, let's let's get started then, uh, see see where the final rounds take us. And then in his conclusion chapter, he pulls a move I didn't not see coming, but I didn't know he would be ballsy enough to do it this early. Ooh, a teaser. I a like teaser. it. <clears throat> okay. Stay tuned. Or just skip ahead. It's a podcast. You, yeah, you, you can do whatever. Yeah, you can do what you... Just leave it on with mute so we get the playtime. <laughs> yeah. Uh, so we were discussing the pyramid last we met. Um, oh, we certainly he, were. <laughs> he continues really going into the pyramids here. He does love him, the pyramids. Yes. Um, now, he he discusses Edgar Casey's readings... Uh, initially, and essentially uses that to just justify the events. So we have to reframe our understanding of what he means by prophecy. Because mm-hmm. as I read this last chunk, it became more and more evident that what he considers prophecy is just something happened. <laughs> well, okay. It doesn't have That's... to be specific as to what, but if you have a like a rough date and something happens and something happens. Now this is the problem with doing prophecy in hindsight. Yeah. That's, uh, that's just called remembering. But yeah, he goes, uh, to quote, quoting, uh, Casey as the changes came about in the earth, the rise and fall of nations were to be depicted in this same temple that was to act as an interpreter for that, which had been that, which is, and that, which is to be in the material plane. This clearly validated the existing work of pyramidologists who had suggested that past, present, 
and future historical events were neatly encoded into the stonework of the Great Pyramid. Yeah, like, what, what the fuck? That's, <laughs> that's just vague nonsense. Oh, yeah, this pyramid timeline shit, even for me. Like, look, I can find a way to believe just about anything, <laughs> or at least understand how someone could believe it. This pyramid shit is nonsense. Like, Edgar Casey's nonsense. It's Edgar Casey seems legit compared to this shit. <laughs> uh, basically, without getting too much into his stupid explanation, um, the pyramid essentially is a physical timeline, right? Uh, depicting, let's see, the year it is supposed to start, I believe, is roughly around. 2500 um so okay. peter tompkin tompkins excuse me uh in his secrets of the pyramid writes uh to make things worse for a pioneering pyramid researcher piazzi smith another <laughs> scott a religious enthusiast called robert menzies advanced the theory that the passage system in the great pyramid was nothing less than a chronological representation of prophecy corroborating the Bible, built on a scale of one pyramid inch to the solar year. So one pyramid inch uh-huh. equals one Earth year. Right. So they're saying that the shape and setup of the pyramid is a literal timeline of history. Yes. Okay. Yes. That is the theory we are being given here. I I can sort of follow so far. Now, David says many of the changes in the pyramid's passage, passageways correspond with very noteworthy events in our own history when you use this system, including 9/11, the so-called Great Recession, and the Edward Snowden NSA revelations. Skeptics will invariably argue that the pyramid timeline must be a hoax or a coincidence. Others balk at how how important Christianity is to the events depicted in the timeline. Nonetheless, the sheer number of highly significant dates that are clearly encoded in the timeline based on this simple, repetitive, and logical system makes these skeptical positions very easy to defend. It is crazy to me, the, the shift in the conspiracy community to being this religious in like the last handful of years here. Yeah, they've really turned aliens into religion. Yeah, conspiracy used to be very anti-religion, and now it's pretty much like it is God is real, and and Christianity is real, and you gotta believe. Uh, and also, of course, to to state the obvious, of course, you can line up the timeline. Something happens every day. Yeah, in in the grand scheme of things, if you had to pick an event that happened. You could do it for literally every day of the year. Yeah, a lot of shit happens. Yeah, yeah. I mean, look at 2020 alone. If, if uh, well, I asked you to pick four things that happened, like all right, I think I think 2020 is even it's a bit cheating. much, a bit yeah. much for most years. But yeah, it's been weird that these dudes are pretty much like practicing Christians, and they just don't want to call themselves that. But once again. If so, let's let's say the pyramid does have this, and it is prophetic. Where is the fucking heads up? Well, that's on, what uh, this. That's what gets interesting. Is whoa, we'll continue on, but the part of this particular timeline that supposedly gives future prophecies 
just gives a vague date, but no actual like details, which like, that's not a prophecy, dude. That's a calendar. Yeah. That's, that's just, I can <clears throat> say 2025. Now, I don't Something know. Something might happen. I'll preface this before I read it because it's going to make this dude sound like a retard. Uh, I don't know if David significantly uh, simplified this man's argument. Uh-huh. But what's presented here <laughs> is fucking nonsense. This is like the only chapter in the book where I was just like, this is retarded. Like, this, <laughs> this has no meaning in any way, shape, or form. I don't care how you read it. Fuck yes. All right. Uh, so let's, I'm just going to take some of these polls because there's no way to really make them make sense. Okay. Let's go see. for it. Going in the pyramid, an ominous pit, ominous pit appears in this room, the uh, subterranean chamber, that you could easily fall into. And in the pyramid timeline, the pit may well begin as of 2001, precisely marking the time of 9 11 and also reaching rock bottom in the exact time frame of the 2008 economic collapse, as we will see. So the pit is eight inches deep? You'll get it. We get into <laughs> legit measurements here. Uh, let's see. They talk about, uh, who was it? It was Al Mamun, who was a... Of course, the famous Al. <clears throat> who was, he brought a team of engineers. Uh, he was the, excuse me, son of Caliph Harun al-Rashid, who was immortalized in the classic Arabian Nights. <laughs> This was actually a fun story where David just talks about how they tried to break into the pyramid and pretty much because they didn't have like bombs and shit and they were like digging through fucking 40 ton rocks. They had to use like, I guess, an acid and like throw it on the rock <laughs> and then just slowly chisel away at it. And they just fucking they would do it. And then they came to these two limestone like plugs, which mm. you're just you're not going to. Yeah, you're just yeah, not going to yeah, dig yeah. through that with bare hands. So then they had to like veer off and out and it's just oh it's wild this dude brought pretty much a small country with him and he couldn't even get in couldn't dig through yeah it's wild how fucking well built those things are um so that was just a funny story because that's that there's a handful of those of people who when they first found the pyramids were like i'm about to fucking break in here and fucking <laughs> i'm gonna write my name on this shit and then they try to get in they're like you know, they built this thing pretty good. It's the it's human nature. They got to write, so-and-so was here in the, in the center chamber. But let's see. Uh, speaking of the limestone plugs in the uh, ascending passage, they were more than 23 feet at 286.1 Egyptian inches. Egyptian inches? Yes. This was the beginning of the Grand Gallery, a long hallway that continued sloping upward at the same angle as the ascending passage. In the pyramid timeline, the exact moment in our history where the ceiling rises this dramatically happens to correspond with the arrival of Jesus. In fact, the exact 33-year period of time between his birth and his ultimate ascension is very neatly recorded in a triangle area within the measurements of the passage as Le Mesure's book reveals. Yeah, this dude's nuts. Yeah, he's literally... He literally measured the pyramid in inches... And then decided each inch was a year. Like, that's a fun thought experiment. Yeah. But there's just... The only proof they offer, or at least David offers, is if you count far enough forward in inches, that's, this is the year. You know what happened in this year? Something. You, you know, of course, the, the very obvious question is why would it be 
not in the metric system. Because it's an Egyptian inch. <laughs> well, they, they do have their own inch. They actually did measure that. Like, that's, <laughs> that's fucking dumb. But... That's part of the problem is like, yeah, this dude uses some basic real things like the inch and how many are in the pyramid. And like, yeah, there's there's really good geometry in the pyramid. It was well built. But they extrapolate so much out of it. Uh, let's see. Here's a here's a good example. Let me find a... If you read Le Maizier's book, the exact year that we hit the Great Step, based upon the original pole star and Pleiades alignment of 2141 BC, is the year 1845. What exactly happens in 1845 that could match such a massive vertical leap depicted within the pyramid? One very significant historical point to consider is the invention of the telegraph. Oh, yes. So much of our modern technological age centers around instantaneous worldwide communication, such as with the Internet, and indeed, it all began in 1845. So I just looked up the pyramid inch. It's basically something made up to make these guys' math work. Um, Yeah. So a normal inch, one inch is, I think, it's 2.54... 2.52 to no 2.54 centimeters. Yeah, somewhere around there. And according to this, a 2.54 centimeters uh in translates to a pyramid inch of 1.00106. So, so his math is a little off. We go pretty deep into but they're yeah, they're tweaking it. Yeah. Because normal measurements wouldn't work for their timeline. So they just made up a number. Oh, he does a much grosser example of that later on. It seems... Trust me, you'll see. When he pulls the second part of this timeline, you'll see where I I hit my first part of, like, I don't know if I can finish this. But uh, let's see, continuing, continuing on. What else happened in 1845? Well, Charles Darwin published his first investigations of the Galapagos Islands, yeah. which was the precursor to his theory of evolution in 1859. Now, David disagrees with David here. (laughs) Though I have argued in the source field investigations that the theory of evolution appears to have flaws, (laughs) as the process is not strictly random but has an intelligent design behind it, Darwin's theory still represented a substantial leap forward in human scientific understanding. All right. Let's see. Fair shot, David. Additionally, in September 1845, a fungus brought over on ships from North America (laughs) began frighteningly wiping out all the potato crops in Ireland. This caused the Great Potato Famine. Yeah, this is retarded. They're just naming years and then saying stuff that happened. That's literally my... It's just That's my annotation is David says stuff happens. Yeah, like it's just a history book. Oh, we got a whole chapter. (laughs) Incidentally, the the Mormons began migrating from the east to Utah in 1845. Oh, good for you. The first nationally observed uniform election day in the United States was on November 4th, 1845. Again, bringing America together as a unified nation. Uh-huh. On December 2nd, 1845, President James K. Polk officially put forward the controversial idea of manifest destiny to Congress. Let's see. Given all we have, uh, given all we know about the uh, commercial debut of the Telegraph, the consolidation <laughs> of America as an international entity, the beginning of some significant world migrations, and the publication of the precursor to the theory of evolution, in the Pyramid Timeline, 1845 does represent a sudden change. It's a painful process, but it paves the way for many other events yet to come. Yeah, when I force my ideas to fit my preconceived notion, it fits quite well. Now, 
the next significant date that pops out, measuring the slope underneath the Great Step by one inch equals one year. Uh, in this case, we hit the stone wall on the opposite side of June 22nd, 1914, the summer solstice. This is the beginning of World War I, and we will see that this date also appears precisely in the descending passage, where more difficult events are apt to be portrayed. Let's see. How many times do you think like pyramid tour guides have to put up with these motherfuckers? While David was there. <laughs> I'm sure David tried to lead his own tour. Oh, David talks about trying to like fit through one of the passages, and I think they like yanked him out. I was like, the fuck are you doing, man? His head is not getting through a passageway. Yeah. Uh, let's see. Um, so he begins discussing. Uh, there's a there's a granite slab. Uh, <clears throat> this yeah, is from David's it's, tour. It's called David's brain. <laughs> this is from David's tour. Uh, let's see. When I took a tour of the Great Pyramid with a group, and I made sure to stand up in that crevice. This is where he climbs into one of them. Uh, okay. Well, and get a good look at the granite slab and the symbol that raises off of it, which pyramid researchers call the boss or the seal. The top block, top of the block was curiously rough, as, it, as if it had been broken off from a larger piece of stone and was never fully finished. Uh, this means, or one inch later, excuse me, hold on. Uh, the first part of the slab that sticks out in a, is the small symbol called the boss of the seal. And then, an inch later, the timeline reaches the much larger mass of the slab's surface. This means that the body of the slab appears in the timeline as of the year 2013. On June 6, 2013, the first of many Edward Snowden revelations about the NSA <laughs> and mass surveillance entered into mass consciousness. Uh-huh. Let's see. Then David makes a metaphor about how the bread isn't real, it's just a dream. Of course, well, we all know how that goes. Let's see. The, the bread is always just a dream. <laughs> that makes sense. The bread is never real. Wonder it's bread. Al it's always a dream. Uh... Let's see. He begins discussing. So this is where they get into the initial potential. They call them future ascension events, which okay. I kind of interpret it as like code for Messiah of some sort. Yeah. Um. But the first one is supposed to be in 2030. And David first started hearing about this from Corey Good once the 2012 prophecies didn't uh, pan yeah, out. Yeah, what happened to... Uh... I'm assuming this same pyramid math was used for 2012 uh, and uh, did not work. Now, he's so, not going to talk about that in the book, but... If I recall correctly, it mentions 2012. <laughs> yeah, of course it does. But not in the way you would expect. Oh, and just another little fun here one uh, to close the book, or to close the uh, chapter. Unfortunately for Newton, all the debris piled up around the one side of the base of the pyramid... This is when Newton went to try and get the measurements and shit, but it was uh. all fucked up. Uh, but the base, side base of the pyramid made the earlier measurements incorrect, so he never found the precise figures for the Earth's measurements that he was looking for. Newton eventually used French astronomer John Picard's measurements to formulate his theory of gravitation. And yes, it seems likely that John Picard was the inspiration for the name of the captain in Star Trek The Next Generation. Uh, I mean, yeah. Yeah, that didn't have anything to do with anything, but he felt the need to say it. Oh, well, that's, like, well-known in Star Trek, though, is that they named, like, a bunch of characters are named after famous scientists and shit. Nah, synchronicity. <laughs> well, I guess, uh, I'm, I'm sorry, the aliens who wrote Star Trek, now, speaking as of, we learned last week, they, they liked him. Now, speaking of synchronicity, though, there was a sentence here where David says, uh, 
It does appear that the source of the Law of One series designed this prophetic system with the Atlantean priest king Rapata hiding the message in plain sight. Ooh. So as to avoid violating the law of free will. Shout out Illuminatus. Now, Rabatah will be an important character to remember because... Oh, that's unfortunate because I do <clears throat> not... I am not a fan of he's, he's the Atlantean king who was also Edgar yeah. Casey. Yeah. Um. Let's see. So he goes on continuing about the pyramid saying that it was clearly designed to have a message in it, particularly talks about the hero's t- story. Um, How many books has this fucker written about the pyramid at this point? All of them. Yeah, like, shut the fuck up, David. Just stop talking about the fucking pyramid. It's a pyramid, man. Well, here's the thing. Either come out with some fucking predictions or shut the fuck up. I don't want to hear it anymore. Here's the thing with the pyramid, though. It's like, there's some pretty cool studies going on right now. Like, there's... There's real shit you could be talking about. Well, that's my point. The pyramids yeah. are fucking cool, yeah. but if you're going to say they can predict the future, start predicting the fucking future. Well, here's the other problem with this, is it's not predicting the future. They're predicting the past, for the most part. Yes, they're they're fitting yeah. the past into that and then claiming it was predicted previous. It's the same as the Nostradamus shit. Yeah, oh, he goes very Where people just go back yeah. Yeah, and, and fit his... Let's see, continuing on. Vagaries into fucking prophecy. Oh, he gets worse with it. All right. Let's see, Peter Lemezior associates A.D. 1223 with the teachings of St. Francis Assisi, who helped create the opportunity to reform Christian thought back to its original mystical core. Because this is another ascension turning point, as they Mm -hmm. call them. Uh, Let's see, the next significant year in the descending passage, as revealed in Peter Lemezior's Great Pyramid Decoded, is A.D. 1440. The year 1440 is when John Gutenberg invented the first movable-type printing press, though he'd made non-moving prototypes since 1436. So it really wasn't that big of a deal. He put wheels on it. Yeah, you know. (laughs) Well, he started in 1936, but we needed it to be four years later. Yeah. Let's see. Uh, The year 1521 is highly significant in our history. As one example, Spain is on record as conquering the Aztecs in 1521. Yeah, look how important that's been. In addition, 1521 (laughs) is considered to be the exact year the Reformation started, which gave common people access to the Bible and made possible the birth of Protestant denominations of Christianity. Now, he is not explaining why. At all. Why any of this is being... As I was reading this, I was waiting for them to be like, okay, but... Like, is there something in there? Because as what I know of the Great Pyramids is there's nothing written on the walls and shit on the inside. That's what makes them weird. Yeah. That's... All the other pyramids got shit written on them. These ones are, like, smooth. So from what I can gather is I guess there's, like, little notches at certain points, which are like, yeah, dude, that's how they measured shit. Yeah, it seems like he's taking, like, shifts in material or or topography of the pyramid well he's definitely doing topography because if and we'll get to using it, that we'll, we'll hear some more examples later but like if you're going up that's an ascension point right and if you're going down that's a bad point right but what if you just walked the other way and then then you're going in the other then direction your dissension is an ascension then now your ascension it, is it, a dissension i do kind of wish they would have given me a brief diagram of where he started and where he ended 
Like the route he walked through the pyramid? <laughs> the fucking loony bin. That's, what, that's where he started and ended. I wish. Once again, I don't know if this dude's writing is this bad or is this David just being really being shitty? Being this bad? Yeah, being really shitty at explaining it. I mean, well, yeah, I guess that would be my question. Is there something they're driving at? Not really. Okay. Not All right. Really. <laughs> That's fine. Continuing as long as on, I know. He's like, during the time window of 1440 to 1521, we also have the fall of Constantinople. Which 80 effectively years? Ended, yeah, this is where... This, 80 years? Once again, this was one of the chapters where I almost was like, what am I reading? Like, this is... Yeah, things happen every fucking year, man. Like, What if I were to tell you that in the last 80 years, stuff happened? Yeah, it's just like, look, man, you can you can do this with hindsight, but you have to have better evidence than, well, that was the year. Ancient astronaut theorists predict things will happen in the next hundred years. Yeah, that's kind of where his prophecies start <laughs> yeah, going. This, uh, this is fucking shit prophecy. Now, one fun little nugget. Uh, discussing the uh, Library of Alexandria, Nicholas V also built it to house the Vatican Library, consolidating the many literary treasures of the Roman Empire in a single location. These treasures included ancient documents from the Library of Alexandria that multiple insiders have told me date back to extraterrestrial civilizations before they ever, ever even arrived on Earth. The burning of the library was allegedly just a cover operation, and apparently all the important ancient records were relocated to the Vatican before the fires were set. Oh, so we still have all the ancient knowledge. It's so, just the, the pesky Catholics stole it. So the Library of Alexandria was a false flag. It was a false <laughs> I feel like that could have been the, that would have been a better book. If you can give me yeah. some historical accounts of how that might have been a um, false flag, yeah. that's a fascinating read. The the ancient Alex Jones would have had a fucking field day with... Well, because I'm sure you could probably track down enough sources at this point where there's at least two or three people who were like, yeah, I know Plato burned it to the ground, that fucking pedophile. <laughs> yeah. He, he was part of... <laughs> He's part of the inner circle of pedophiles. Okay, after 1521, there are no new changes in the descending passage until we reach what is known as the recess, or lesser chamber. Uh, the recess begins in 1767 and ends in 1848. As it turns out, 1767 is the year the British imposed a tax on all the tea in the American colonies. This was the direct inciting incident. That triggered the American Revolution just nine years later in 1776. So we get 1767, but that means 1776. Don't you think, like, I feel like if I just put my hands firmly on his shoulders and just shook him vigorously enough that I could snap him out of this. Because you're right, this is fucking nonsense. This is, uh, None of this... None of this makes... It's just... It's just numbers things. and dates and... Yeah, it's just things that happen. This would just be like if I just pulled up random years on a Wikipedia page and started reading. In fact, I can do that. You want to hear some prophecy? Oh, he, sor he <laughs> cites Wikipedia as a source at one point, which... Oh, actually, right here. <laughs> according to Wikipedia... Synchronicity. According to Wikipedia as of 2009, when I first compiled notes on this subject, I didn't even read the other part. I just wrote David's sources... <laughs> Like, look, man, if Wikipedia is not allowed on high school papers, I would not rely on it. Well, I got some prophecy about the year 1999, if you want it. Go for it, man. Uh, it, it started on a Friday of the Gregorian calendar, 
It was the 999th year of the second millennium. Mm. And the 10th and last year of the 1990s decade. Can't believe you predicted that. I <laughs> Wait a second. I think I just found my grift. I think we did it. <laughs> I think we found it just reading. Uh, I think David's doing it, man. I mean, yeah, you can just go. On January 1st, the euro currency is established. Yeah, that's the like, issue. It's like you're saying it, but then right. there's just no follow-up. Look, it, here, I pulled up 1999 on Wikipedia. They, they have a section for events. I'm, I'm slowly scrolling through it for Jay. Yeah, there's, there's a it's, lot. It's long as fuck. Like, every year, you'd be able to... It's, it's hundreds of pages of yeah. shit that happened. Yeah. yeah like, the, you could find something. Yeah, you can't prophesy in reverse. And there, if you're going to, at least give me some fucking something as, just as anything, to why. Anything is a data point. I don't even, I mean, I know it's going to be bullshit, but at least something. Lie to me. Uh, just let's lie to me. <laughs> in 1914 is when the, uh, the smooth, flat floor of the passage drops into the churning rage of the subterranean chamber. This is the year World War I began, like a sudden rushing collapse of dominoes. Let's see, when we read through the history ourselves, it almost appears as if a sort of mass insanity was taking place all over the world. Well, the not... irony there. Oh, he's <laughs> filled with it, this chapter again. We have more instances of him seeing a problem, but just not being self-aware to apply it to himself. Hey, did you know that in 1914, that was also when the Ford Motor Company announced an eight-hour workday and a daily wage of $5? So that's when it all went to hell. Yeah. That's my prophecy. Can't believe you predicted that. <laughs> I'm so fucking good at this. Well, in 1893, Dr. Adam Rutherford's Egyptologist father predicted an ominous event of great magnitude in 1914, based on a similar alignment he found in the Grand Gallery. This is an example where the timeline was, su was successfully used to predict future events. Though Rutherford was wrong about other things and did not su succeed in his own attempts to prognosticate our immediate future destiny. Okay. So he was completely wrong. But on this one point that helps David, right. he was totally right. So, yeah, he was uh, one for ten or and, whatever. And once again, when you say an ominous event is going to happen, yeah, you got to be more specific One's than gonna that. One's going to happen. Yeah, you just, you just have to. And I think, this, I think this is something that needs to be reformed in the community. We I need don't... to. You're right. We need to bring back specificity in prophecy. Yeah. Look, if you're gonna call your shot, call your shot, bro. Don't tell me like, well, sometime in the next 15 years, something bad's gonna happen. Yeah. I don't want you to. I don't want you to sound like a state fair psychic reading your palm. Like I. I want some on this date. This is gonna happen. Not uh, bad things are looming. Yeah, at least Casey, as weird as he gets, had specifics. Yeah, they were wrong, but they yeah. were specific. Specifics is at least, at least I feel like... <laughs> at least like, he tried. Yeah, at least you're trying. <laughs> you're putting in full effort. Let's see. From this point forward, the pyramid's floor is a mess. This is, of course, when World War II finally ended. Uh, the floor of the subterranean chamber continues to violently fluctuate in height from this point. Most pyramid researchers consider this floor to be unfinished, as if such a marvelously perfected monument in the desert would somehow have been left abandoned. This is almost certainly not the case. 
the grotesquely distorted floors using dream symbolism to indicate that this entire period of history is replete with wars, peril, mass death, stress, and chaos. Furthermore, the overall quality of life shows a slow, gradual downtrend, as seen in the height of the floor right up until a year later that Le Maisure believes is 2004. God damn, I, I, I just, I hate him. I, I fucking hate him so much. He is, he's really straying. Yeah. What made him great. It is. At least in like source field investigations and shit, he was using geometry as at least a basis. But yeah, to just go like, hey, the floor is unfinished. Uh, and that means that war is happening. <laughs> Yeah, I don't, like, and that's that's definitely a David interpretation. I don't think that's from the other guy. But then what happens to the pyramid inch? Does the pyramid inch measure the surface area, or does it just go straight? Is it linear, or I, does it follow the curves? I think it goes straight and then up and then straight. So I think he, it follows the topography. It's following the, the, the dips and, and rises of the unfinished floor. Yes, yes, okay. correct. Correct. Um, let's see. Continuing on. On page 124, he got more specific by indicating that since the ceiling of the chamber, begin, the subterranean chamber, mm. begins in 1911, but the floor doesn't drop out until 1914. 1911 is my favorite model handgun. Everything in this section could be thus backdated by three years. Uh, that makes 9-11 <laughs> happen at the exact time we drop into the pit of ordeal in the pyramid timeline. If we completely change what we were doing, it fits better. Yeah, he literally doesn't really give an explanation for why he can shift it back three years. So he just subtracts three years because the timeline doesn't fit anymore. Yeah, I mean, I guess the reasoning is the floor drops out on, on 1914. I don't... And that was them telling us to subtract? I guess. But then the other floor where it was doing that wasn't them telling us to subtract? It's Listen, just, it's all fucking retarded. Like, it's well, I'm just, clearly I'm, this is nonsense. I'm just know. checking my nose to see if, like, I had anything <laughs> else underlined. But, like, he just he just says it and keeps it moving. Yeah, David's lost his touch. I'm, I'm going to say it. He's, uh, I think he... I think he's blown his arm out, man. I don't think he can pitch anymore. I think he lost his heater. I don't know who was editing his first three books, but he needs... Whoever it was needs to be hired and given a raise. He drastically needs an editor. Yeah, this is... Because he needs... He's just... This is like if Alex Jones had to write a book without the documents. <laughs> I've got the documents, though. And then... <laughs> And then he just did stream of consciousness. Yeah, this is just if James Joyce fucking bashed his head against a wall and then tried to write. Yeah, because there's just, just stream of consciousness. It, 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 if he was just repeatedly dealt brain trauma. Yeah, and then had to write a book about the floor of a pyramid. It. Yeah, well, he he fucking he tore a rotator cuff. He he doesn't have it anymore. Yeah, he ain't, he ain't got the heat. At least not on this one. No, no. He uh, fucking... Well, he... I take that back. There's one chapter where we see old David, but he's okay. he's not showing up enough for my liking. Because right now, he's he's not even over the plate. He's, he's fucking hitting kids in the face that are in the second row. Yeah, this chapter's bad. <laughs> yeah, uh, he's, he's chucking the ball into the stands. Let's see. The pit then reaches its deepest point just a few years later. 
we scale back the following dates by three years and then otherwise recite Le Maizière's decoding of the prophet prophecy exactly as it was written, this is what we see on page 135. Then in around 2001, the bottom will fall out of the world. Both world civilization and its technologies will collapse to rock bottom by 2007 and will remain at that level for at least 15 years. Except by 2007, technology hadn't collapsed and we had actually gotten the iPhone. Well, hold on. <laughs> the year 2007 is certainly an interesting date. The great economic collapse of 2008 really began with what scholars call the 2007 financial crisis. Uh-huh. So it always works for David. It always it always fits. They thought it was a 2008 crash. But no. Technically. <laughs> technically. Started in 2007. That is a good technicality. Everything that eventually happens technically did start earlier mm-hmm. on. Look, the further and further we go on in this investigation, the more impossible it becomes that these dates in the Great Pyramid timeline could be a product of random coincidence. Yeah. The, <laughs> I mean, yeah, you created a calendar. And then decide when to randomly subtract and add numbers to it to make yeah. it fit. The pyramid designers even politely remind us here that the great 2008 economic collapse truthfully began in 2007. I remember reading this prophecy back in 1993 and wondering what would cause our world to collapse to rock bottom in the time interval of 2007 to 2010. And now we know. So in his mind, this is proof of a prophecy proven true that was fulfilled. Of course. So that's how low his bar is for what a prophecy is. He, his, his bar is it, much like the pyramid floor. It is uh, three inches lower. It is, it is beneath the ground. You, yeah, you could, you could uh, army crawl over the bar that is uh, set by his precedent for evidence. Yeah, keeping it going. Since we do have a three-year sliding scale in the time window we are now discussing. Oh, al- now we can just do it whenever? Yeah, allowing <laughs> the first bottom of the pit to be either 2001 or 2004. Oh, that's good. We do want to investigate both of these dates. By 2004, the Iraq War was raging. Uh, let's see. And almost immediately, George W. Bush signed the Intelligence Reform and Terrorism Act of 2004 in an attempt to consolidate the various intelligence agencies into the Department of Homeland Security and put all competing agencies under the control of a single national intelligence director. Then in December 26, 2004, the greatest earthquake in over 40 years struck the Pacific Ocean near Sumatra. This seemingly validates many of the most distressing prophecies that the bottom world indeed would fall out in this time frame. Uh, it's exhausting. Yeah, people who post-date prophecies without having explicit detail in there, because it seems like the dude who wrote that original book he's talking about at least extrapolated a little as to why this year was the year. Tried to explain it. But there's also nothing in the pyramid to give you this... Yeah, reading the pyramid is not telling you so, war is going to happen. It's so just... literally, he just measured it in these inches and created a calendar. You and can, then you can do that for any building in existence. <laughs> yeah, we could do it for the room we're in right now. Like it yeah. doesn't. In fact, maybe we do that. Yeah, like it's just line. that was. This is where I started losing him. I was just like, I could, I could literally do this for any building on the planet. This is not unique to the pyramids in any way other than the bullshit inch they came up with. Yeah. 
Uh, so he discusses the Battle of 1942 uh, because using the same three-year slide. <laughs> oh, fuck you, David. You can also apply it to the end of World War II, which the timeline dates yeah, okay. to 1945. Uh, this three-year window backdates us to 1942, where we have the infamous Battle of Los Angeles, a favorite topic among UFO researchers. Um, continuing on, they discuss how those dudes kind of just showed up over the White House and freaked everyone the fuck out. Right. Um, let's see. In 1945, three years after the Battle of uh, Los Angeles, the war was over. Lemaizier's original date of 2010, when the floor of the Pit of Ordeal plummets to its deepest level, may have more to offer us than just a dark, a dark marker for the Dodd-Frank Act. On April 20th, 2010, the Deepwater Horizon oil rig exploded and soon sank, creating what is now seen as the greatest ecological disaster in human history. On January 13th, 2010, a massive earthquake devastated Hawaii and was right, considered by geologists to be quite strange. Is he? Does he cite Wikipedia on this again? Uh, Not this one. I think he's taking most of these from this dude's book. Okay, because I was going to say, it sounds like he was just doing what I was doing, which was if you go to the Wikipedia, type in uh, the Wikipedia page for any year, it just lists events in chronological order. So I don't know exactly. It sounds like he's just going down the list yeah, and so, writing down the the craziest shit that happened. So I don't know exactly what's in this other dude's book, but I do feel David's probably adding some of these extra dates in there because... They don't exactly specify how many incidents can occur per date in this timeline. Right. So is it just everything that could occur in that year? Because then you're just predicting the year occurred. Yeah, stuff happens during the year is the prediction. Let's see. With the Mayan calendar end date of 2012... Oh, no, I don't. I can't combine the two. (laughs) ...appearing precisely in the pyramid's antechamber, and the year 2013 corresponding to the world-changing Snowden NSA revelations... That didn't change the world. ...we can deduce that these events are all part of the ascension process. So David had to make sure he was right. (laughs) Okay. Uh, Yes, he had to make sure he, he had 2012 right. You know, he just can't let that one go. I mean, that no, is kind I mean of... that was he did hype that up for a long time. That was a that was a very very devastating blow to him. Yeah, he really he really tried to call his shot on that one. And uh, boy, did he fuck that one up. Okay, moving on to where they finally get to the future. Okay, uh, Lemezier indicates that the year twenty thirty two is a significant turning point. And thanks to the three-year variance, this is also this also should be backdated to 2029. So now we're predicting two different years. Per yeah, but notch. what about 2035? I guess it can only go backwards three years. I don't know. It okay. Doesn't seem okay. to be a. It, okay. He doesn't explain it. He doesn't. Exp- I guess it's a three-year drop. Okay. So it can only be three years. So backwards. you can only subtract. You can't add. Yes. So if the in PEMDAS uh, order operations, yes, you, you, you subtract only. So uh, this is only one year away from the date of 2030, where the second set of grooves appear in the antechamber to signal the next time window where an ascension-related mega event could occur. All right, hold on. Just just briefly to recap how we got to this point. We took 
the stupid pyramid inch thing to give us 2032. 2032. He then used the exception that allows him to subtract three years to get us to 2029. Correct. And then he then added a year for no reason to get us to 2030. 2030. 2030 is one of the... uh, dates Corey Good had told him. Okay. So So he, we subtracted three and added one to get to the year he wants to talk about. Yes. Okay. Yeah, yes. that makes perfect sense. Which is weird and it was one of the other things I didn't quite understand because couldn't you just move forward an inch? <laughs> like I'm at some point I'm gonna have to like at some point I'm gonna have to read the I didn't even consider that, but yeah, can't you just move forward or backwards a at, few inches? At some point I'm gonna have to look up this other dude's book because I need to know how much of this nonsense was David. And yeah. How much was this other guy? Yeah, how guilty is this poor other guy? Did he this just other write guy... an interesting book and David fucking slaughtered it or Yeah, that's kind of what I'm curious as to like because maybe that dude has some real explanations in here because yeah. uh David just found the dates and just cut everything else out. Uh, let's see. The pit, therefore, gives us the second reinforcement of the prophetic date that Corey Good, his insiders, and my own dreams have been giving as a possible time window for when the actual solar flash will finally occur. Oh, no. Because it was supposed to occur on 2012. I know it was. His Him and his fucking solar flash, He's conv- that has to be the thing. Yeah, he's convinced that's, that's going to be That's his it. thing. The solar flash is going to wipe us all out. It's the only way we're going to evolve. So now now he, he he's essentially calling a shot for 2030 then. I mean, he's calling his shot in that something will happen. Now, I I would have to go back and watch the videos, but from my binging of Corey Good and David Wilcock uh, prophecy videos, I do believe they had something coming up by 2023. Like, end of the world scenario. I guess you could argue the current pandemic. Yeah. Uh, I, he seems to pivot. Oh, pretty... and you could subtract three years. Oh, uh-huh. shit. Oh, shit. 2020. Uh, 2020 is three years, but 2023 minus three. Now, he seems to stick to this 2030 date pretty hard, but okay. once again, he doesn't. So but... it could also be 2027. I, I guess. I don't know. He doesn't... Even though he already added one inch to the minus three. But he also just... <laughs> he just doesn't explain what's going to happen in 2030. Just something's going to happen. The Ascension. The, the Ascension mystery. Yeah. Let's see. We're going to awaken the dream. The end of the descending passage timeline. The floor height in the subterranean chamber still remains the same in the pit until a sudden vertical jump going straight up in about 2055. This, as Lemezier indicates, represents the timeline for materialist humanity, not those who are set to experience ascension. All right. See, now he's doing the smart thing, which is he, he's calling his shot for times when he's going to be dead. That's, that's, that's the safest the smart move. move. Yeah, it's the safest move. Call your shot for when you're not going to be alive to be ridiculed. Exactly. Uh, there is another, even greater vertical jump in about 2075, and another vertical jump in about 2100 which is almost as big as the one in 2055. So there's a vertical jump every 25 inches. Yeah. Which, wouldn't, couldn't that just be like the length of the brick or... Yeah, probably. I mean, it was a very... <laughs> once again, it was a very precisely made building. Like, it's very geometrically sound. Yeah. People sometimes point out, like, did you know the king's chamber is a perfect circle? Like, motherfucker, they spent 600 years building that shit. Of course it's a perfect circle. Okay, uh... Then we have a slow, gradual increase in height until 2132, 
when we finally exit the subterranean chamber and again end up in, the, in a tunnel that is carved like the rest of the descending passage. Once we get back into the antechamber, we have the granite slab with the half-circle boss symbol on it. If you do not change the time scale, oh, excuse me, as we discussed, this is interpreted as a prophecy of ascension, which Lemezier directly associates with the second coming of Christ. If you do not change the time scale, the great step, this ascension harbinger was, a sec was expected to happen in 2012, which was a perfect fit with the Mayan calendar. Um, so they once again start fucking with the timeline and how it's interpreted. Um, <laughs> well, at a certain point, you just gotta say you're you're making up the rules as you go. I mean, I guess you can't say it that way, but you gotta essentially yeah. cop to it. Yeah, pretty much. I mean, because you can't you can't keep adding and subtracting to like I could get to any date uh, like 2010 plus 10 minus 3 plus 8 divide by 2 like you can get to any fucking number you want. Well, that's that's how math works. And part of what I was disappointed with is like you can throw out these random dates but connect them to something or tell us something that's going to the aliens are coming in 2030. There. Yeah. I yeah. predict it. So let's see, continuing on, David has to humble brag again. Uh, now, in retrospect, it is obvious that I was guided to read The Great Pyramid Decoded right at the beginning of my epic 300-volume research period in college. Oh, uh, ah, There were those fu fucking 300 books. I, oh, I, bet it's, I bet if we found that list, it was all just like Clifford the Big Red Dog. <laughs> the, well, uh, I just like that he thinks 300 is like some insane number. Yeah, I would. Uh, I would assume most people have run, read somewhere thereabouts. Like, yeah, he he drops this more than once in this chunk, and it's just every time he seems to think that someone's going to be like, "Wow, three hundred books! You read three hundred books? Holy shit! You must know everything. <laughs> you read three hundred books written, written by literal retards." Yeah, it was great. It was great. Um. So, just continue on, there were far too many prophecy hits on very specific dates in our own history for this to be any type of coincidence, and this has continued to be the case in our own recent history. So, once again, there are no coincidences. Except for the ones you can't predict. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Let's so, see. It was completely accurate, they just chose not to tell us. So that's the end of the chapter where I almost hung it up. Oh, thank came, fucking Christ, because I almost hung it up. I came very close. That was just... <laughs> that is a fucking brutal read. I can defend just about every chapter in this book. That one Not was, that one. That one was inexcusable. Like, that was just... You got some splainin' to do, David. That was some bullshit. Yeah, there was just absolutely... I just, I just need... I need someone to explain how you could not get those exact readings from measuring any fucking building on this planet. <laughs> That's the, yeah. I just couldn't get past that. I was like, you guys are just measuring inches and being like, well, this is this year. This is this year. This is this year. Like, I mean, I, I guess they're saying there's a shift in like the texture or the height of the pyramid where those inches are. But yeah, still. there's apparently a few like notches that I think were just used for measuring where they're like, well, this indicates something happened. Yeah, that, uh, I know we have some people who listen to this who are on the uh, David Wilcock side of things. Which we're on. We're trying to save him from yeah. ruining everything he's built. 
Yes, we're trying to save him from himself currently, because uh, that's that's just shit. That shit research, that shit writing. Yeah, it's just bad all that's, around. Yeah, that was, that was just a bad job. Okay, let's see. David discusses his first Illuminati insider. This was the chapter that, that saved it for me. All right, I was going to say, Illuminati insider, we, we got me back. Yeah. I'm, I'm ready. Now, real quickly, he also discusses how he had a... Uh, he was looking into Terrence McKenna's work. All right. But, Getting uh, into some uh, psychedelics, David? Well, well, one obvious synchronicity was that the first time I tried to read McKenna's stuff, the computer powered itself down to a black screen, even though we did not lose power in the rest of the house. Then it happened again when I tried to read McKenna once more. By combining this with other pieces of data that were, in, that were coming in, I saw it as a sign not to get too involved, and I didn't. So, so David pussed out on doing psychedelics. Cause so his Terrence comp- McKenna's website was crashing, and he thought it was a sign that he shouldn't get into it. Yeah, David restarted his computer. Yeah. <laughs> uh, okay, now we'll get to the insider. Ahem. Antonio and I got into a high-level conversation about uh, subjects. All right, hold on. Very quickly, can we talk about how bad he is at coming up with fake names? I love his fake names. <laughs> his fake yeah, names are always so ridiculous because one of the things i got when i was reading this and i don't know if david is self self-deprecating enough to do this but if you wrote an office style type comedy with david wilcock with as david the... wilcock and his gang yeah that could actually be pretty fucking funny if it, we're being honest yeah it could be like without even without like just brutally mocking them because they're obviously just like one they're lunatics and two they seem to just do hilarious shit so if David would be willing to laugh at himself a little, there's a great sitcom in here. He is not willing to do that. Could you imagine Silicon Valley, but with David and the gang, trying to figure out how aliens are real? Antonio. Yeah. Antonio. Because what's, what's uh, Corey Good's friend in the Galactic Federation is like... Uh, f- Gonzalez. Fed- Gonzalez, there it is. Gonzalez. Yeah. So he just uses semi-Latin uh, names to for, for all his made-up insiders. Yeah, and I do love that not a single person in this book who he supposedly knows was willing to give their last name <laughs> yeah literally not a single one no one was willing to go on the record so let's see antonio and i got into a high level conversation about the subjects that my housemate eric knew almost nothing about this includes pyramids atlantis sunken architecture the freemasons extraterrestrials reverse engineered technology and ascension Hey, you know what Eric, the roommate, knew how to do? Was pay your fucking rent, you ungrateful dick. Yeah, we get into that, too, again. (laughs) Yeah. Uh, Let's see. (laughs) Eric was too busy doing things like working for a fucking living. Oh, David's job troubles come back up. (laughs) Okay. Uh, Antonio was admittedly impressed with how much I had discovered over the course of my research, but he had a curiously dismissive attitude. He felt I I still didn't really know very much since everything I had obtained was from books. He, on the other hand, claimed to have direct access to a group he called the Illuminati. I had already read about this group in William T. Still's new book, New World Order, which certainly did not paint a positive portrait of this organization. However, Antonio was absolutely convinced that Still had it all wrong, and the Illuminati were the good guys in our planetary planetary storyline. He had worked in a bar where top level former where top level members gathered, and he got to hear stories about them from his grandfather or his godfather. My opinions on the Illuminati were nowhere near as solid in 1996 as they would become later, particularly after reading the highly disturbing whistleblower testimony of Spali beginning in 2000. 
I believe Svali is one of the dudes who appears on Infowars pretty regularly. Okay. He's uh, the Pope. He's part of the Illuminati. Oh, okay. Uh, Uh, Let's see. Antonio's father had worked, if you want to call it that, as a jewel smuggler. He would buy various precious gemstones. And and, shove them up his ass. Including diamonds. Yeah, probably. Including (laughs) diamonds at low prices, circumvent taxes and other duty fees by smuggling them through airports and customs stops, and then sell them at conventional prices in Spain. After his father's tragic death, Antonio was placed... From, he, he put too big a diamond in his ass and he, bled out. He got too greedy and tried to keister too many rubies. <laughs> yeah. Uh, Antonio was placed under the guardianship of his godfather, a medical doctor who lived on a massive Spanish estate where, and was one of the wealthiest people in the country. So Antonio describes how he was not allowed to sleep during the day and there was a butler who was assigned to do a regular patrol, make sure he was awake and working when he was in his room. Uh, eventually, I guess the butler allows him to escape uh, because he says he finally escaped by getting placed in a boarding school, which was much better. At some point, his godfather finally began speaking to him and took Antonio under his wing. Antonio eventually found out that his godfather was apparently one of the top 90 highest-ranking members of a group they called the Illuminati, and Antonio's late father had also been a member. Once Antonio became a teenager, his godfather granted him a job working in a Masonic bar in Spain to which only the highest level members of the secret order were invited. Wait, so his dad was shoving diamonds up his ass while he was a top member of the Illuminati? He was doing it for the Illuminati. Okay. Let's see. Antonio was told that the Illuminati were the secret rulers and controllers of the world. They had people in just about every country from the highest level down. They had a very complex and elaborate set of spiritual philosophies and practices, and everything they were doing was part of a greater secret spiritual tradition. More than once, Antonio ominously talked about leather aprons, which are worn in Masonic lodges, and strongly implied that he had seen these people wearing them. He also felt, or was told, that this tradition went directly back to ancient Egypt. Luckily, he was apparently never initiated into the organization. So, apparently, the Illuminati believed in Atlantis, which I could easily accept, given all the research I had done. They 300 also, books, I believe. Minimum. <laughs> Epic 300 books. <laughs> they also felt they were the surviving descendants of the mighty civilization and had retained many of its secrets that were lost to the general public. They taught Antonio that he should never have a sexual release unless it was with a woman, as otherwise he would be depleting his own supply of spiritual energy. Wait a second, the Illuminati's anti-gay? I think he's somehow jerking off, but I read it as anti-gay first, too. Yeah, that sounds... That's I I don't want a non-inclusive Illuminati. Yeah, the Illuminati I know fucks anything. Yeah. They, they're... They, they, yeah, they, they have to do it. It's part of the ritual. <laughs> they, 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 owls or whatever, Moloch, you gotta fuck a owl. But I guess Illuminati was no fap. <laughs> the nofap Illuminati is uh, it, that would explain a lot. Yeah, yeah. So David goes on to talk about how Antonio was a poon hound and just got bitches left and right. Of course he did. Uh, then he talks about how one of the people he brought over was uh talking with David, and uh, she had recovered from a heroin addiction when she was still a teenager, and she and I connected nicely as two people who had successfully kicked a drug habit. Oh, that is so infuriating. He loves to do that. He loves to. He, he loves the fact that he did drugs. Well, 
weed. He smoked weed. Yeah, he smoked weed. Yeah, he loves for to, for he, like two years. Yeah, he loves to think that he overcame addiction. It's like a romantic thing to him. Yeah, pretty much. It's it's his hero's tale. Yeah, he he overcame the great monster that is marijuana, and I, it, it, and its grip on his life. Yeah, try having fucking seizures, David. <laughs> <laughs> Uh, so let's see, he goes on to talk about how the Illuminati believe in something called the Hidden Directorate, which is uh, basically the law of one equivalent uh, okay. for the Illuminati. Okay. That's their higher intelligence. Uh, let's see, the Hidden Directorate non-terrestrial intelligence communicates to a group of elite humans on Earth whom the book calls the Hidden Executive. These elite humans have been through magical training and apparently can perform feats that most of us would consider to be superhuman. By the context, it would appear that Antonio's godfather was a hidden executive member, though I didn't hear about him having any unusual abilities. The hidden executive, in turn, gives instructions to subordinates who had to go through initiation, apparently into secret mystery schools and other such orders. Quite surprisingly, these so-called subordinates are people we identify as kings, queens, presidents, prime ministers, and other top leaders in various aspects of our society who take part in the ordinary life of nations, usually without being detected by anyone. Certainly. <laughs> Certainly. Let's see. Continuing on, he discusses how there's a covert alliance between Islam and the Vatican, which is a key theme oh, reappearing okay. throughout his book. So that's an interesting one. I had yeah, never heard I, that before. I haven't heard that one either. I like that. So they're they're secretly working together to... Save the planet? Apparently it was during the Crusades. Uh, that's, uh, that's interesting. Yes. Uh, oh, here it is. I found out only many years later from top insiders that a strong part of the Illuminati's secret teachings were born of a hidden alliance between the Roman Knight, Te Knight Templars and the Islamic Order of the Assassins. This secret alliance apparently began during the Crusades. Many of the covert techniques still used in the spy trade today were originally developed by the Assassins. The deeper Islamic philosophies and practices were later combined with Celtic, Egyptian, and Babylonian mysticism that the, that the Roman Empire had researched and aggregated. Which, if they had a an agreement, when did the agreement go awry? Yeah, it seems to have. Uh, they've lost their way somewhere along the I along was, the lines. I was really hoping the agreement would be that they were going to kill the Jews together. You you know what? Uh, you know what they probably could do is they could go back to the pyramid and measure out That's from true. that date. If they had only known, yeah, they could probably figure it out. If they had only known. Let's see. He talks about how. Uh, there was an author who speaks with a seemingly inappropriate degree of excitement about a particular sect from India called Thuggy. He's the origin, his set. The origin of the term thug in the English, English language comes from the Hindi word for thief. Huh. These people would find extraordinary pleasure in making friends with a group of travelers whom they intended to murder and then burglarize. They typically killed people by strangling them to death and said that the murders caused an ecstasy that made everything else in life seem unimportant. Hey, when you bout that thuggy life, you gotta you gotta get it how you live, man. Yeah, pretty much. Let's <laughs> see. Uh, so going on, the author goes on to explain that the two-horned were a division of the Bedouin tribe called the Aniza. The two-horned cult migrated to Spain in the year 1460. The Arabic word for goat has the same consonant roots as Aniza, and thus the two-horned cult adopted the goat as a symbol for their clan, which I believe he's uh, 
Satan references. Right, right. right. Uh, we learn about a leader of the Spanish Jews named Rabbi Ishak Toledano, who welcomed the two-horned cult and teamed up with them. He was specifically working with their magical spells to see if he could use them to defeat their mutual Christian enemies. Rabbi Ishak knew that if any of the specifics of the magic spells they were using against the Christians, Christian enemy emerged, they would all very likely be tortured and killed. As a result, Rabbi Ishak created loyalty and secrecy in the group by getting its members to do the most horrific crimes imaginable. So we have our. So it is a gang. We have our pre Jeffrey Epstein. Yeah, this is the the original. Uh... That's always been the move. You got to fuck this kid, and we'll let you in. Yeah. <laughs> We're gonna we're gonna draw it on a stone tablet so we have pictures to give to <laughs> yeah we, we have TMZ. evidence yeah <laughs> yeah that that move's been working for three thousand years I guess uh, I guess why change the game plan when the game plan's working as a test to see who was willing to advance in the community the members were forced to torture and kill people particularly Christians then the received teardrop tattoos to... that would have been great <laughs> yeah. the group also created rituals involving sexual perversions and forcing people to eat, quote-unquote, abominable material that is not specified. So it's like fear factor. I think someone was shitting in someone's mouth. There was like old-school Joe Rogan cheering cheering them on, hosting it. Yeah, pretty much. Or yeah. I guess not cheering them on, it's just like, you gotta eat that or you're not in. Yeah, 1400s Joe Rogan. Let's see. In the Illuminati religious view, Lucifer apparently wishes to free us from the encumbrances of ethics and morality which they believe restrict our freedom. I, I think that too. I've, I've heard that one before. That's a pretty common one. Yeah. Because the Satanists don't really believe in Satan. They're, no. just, they're just fags who want to make some gay rhetorical. Point. It's a do as thou wilt, man. Yeah. Let's see. The Illuminati further believes that karma applies only to people who follow the slave religions and that their group operates more like a natural force, such as wildfire, without any karmic repercussions whatsoever. So I guess that's how they can explain away why they can do that. Uh, as the years went by, I found that the secret Illuminati religion absolutely believes Atlantis is real and that there were gods on the earth in those days who withdrew and abandoned them. The people were then forced to endure the Great Flood. Many of them perished and their survivors collected what little remained of their advanced technological civilization and preserved it in secret. Many of these records ultimately ended up in the Vatican Library. Of course. Vatican's got some wild stuff. Yeah, they had a lock on a lot of this uh, info. They they seem to have all of it, pretty much. Yeah, they got the Library of Alexandria, and now they got everything that occurred before the Great Flood. Yeah, he talks about how the Illuminati start wars because it's profitable. He also says one of the things he did admit, being Antonio, was that he was quite certain that AIDS was of artificial origin. <laughs> okay, all yeah. right, the government made AIDS, why not? In 2019, the movie Cold Case Hamarkjold featured Alexander Jones, an insider who testified to his personal... I love his radio show. <laughs> ...to his personal involvement in spreading AIDS throughout the African continent on an industrial scale. Uh, <laughs> let's see. Illuminati's clearly working with extraterrestrials. Clearly. Um, clearly. He said they would appear in human almost every way and could blend in with the rest of us. Uh, and now, that is what they say about the men in black. You know, like the, yeah, the guys yeah. who show up after someone sees a UFO is they, they appear human, but they can't quite pull off, like, the mannerism. Yeah, they're human until you really look at them. Yeah, and then the a, jig is kind of Some up. uncanny valley shit going on. Let's see. Antonio was frequently obsessed with talking about the megalithic stone architecture of a site in the Pacific Islands of Micronesia called Nanmado, 
Somewhere in this general vicinity, he spoke of an island where the natives had an extraterrestrial artifact they were carefully guarding. The rumor was that if these natives let you in to see this purported extraterrestrial artifact, the site had some weird technology that would shrink your head size somehow when you went in, but you still could think. <laughs> why? <laughs> no explanation as to why that would be useful. Well, yeah, well, maybe that's just David hoping. Listen, yeah. as a fellow big-headed brethren, I, I agree, David. I wish I had a, a laser that could shrink the size of my noggin to, to be able to better fit things, but... Uh... Yeah, it would help. It would help. <laughs> you gotta live with that one. Uh, let's see. He talks to him about beings being in stasis, supposedly, across the planet, like aliens that are being protected. So they're just sort of chilling and... They're apparently waiting until we've advanced karmically for them to come back. Gotcha. And then he discusses um, the release of the alleged alien autopsy film that was found by Ray and Tilly. I don't know if you've seen this at all. You're not talking about the the one that. Um, it's an old one that was kind of not faked. the Stephen Greer. No, this is no, a different okay. one. This is a different one. Um, but while Antonio does believe that it wasn't real, he said it was definitely based on a real incident <laughs> and was portrayed in a way that it was pretty much what happened. Based on the true story. Yeah. So that was and. Uh, Apparently, Steven Spielberg probably directed it. Huh. It's interesting that they always get these people. Spielberg directs the alien autopsy. You got Kubrick directing the moon landing. You know, it's what they're good at. Yeah. Everybody's got their specialty. I guess pick the best. So let's see. At one point, uh, he's helping someone in this group move, and the insider had 26 boxes of highly classified documents in his attic. Apparently, there were warring factions within within the Illuminati, and the insider was on the losing side in this particular case. He apparently smuggled these documents out of a secure facility somewhere and kept them in a private collection, which was considered to be an unacceptable risk. The boxes now had to be moved very quickly. Although Antonio was extremely terrified, he joined up with this team and ensured that the boxes were moved to a safe location. They allowed him to pick up one of the boxes, open it, and inspect its contents. Up until then, none of them had told him anything about the ETs or UFOs, nor had he ever been initiated into their order. Antonio excitedly opened a box and was amazed by what he saw. The first document resting on top was from the United States government and was secretly circulated to the leadership of every country in the world. <laughs> it was a document outlining the protocols for what they should do if a UFO crash-landed in their country. The document cast a veil of incredible fear around the whole idea. They claimed threats could be in these UFOs that could include viruses that could wipe out all life on Earth, or hostile aliens with hyper-advanced weaponry. The document said the United States has experienced handling these various incidents successfully, and therefore any such crash should be reported to the U.S. military for immediate disposal. All right, wait a second. What? Stay with me here. What, what if this sort of alien disclosure movement we got going on right now is who they're going to blame COVID on? What if we're going to get some alien disclosure, but it, was, it comes at the expense of the aliens brought that disease and fucked us up? It was an alien germ. The aliens did to us what we did to the Native Americans. That's definitely, I mean, it's definitely not out of the realm of possibility, I suppose. See how easy this is, David? Why can't you come up with cool shit? Yeah, right? Well, yeah, it's not no, that, that hard. hard. Yeah, like <laughs> this, is, this is what David should be doing. Yeah. This is what he's good at. Stick, stick to this. Let's see. Antonio revealed, speaking of Zachariah Sitchin, 
that the Illuminati were telling him what to say with a definite agenda behind it. Some of the things that Sitchin had purported to transcribe were simply things they had told him they wanted him to say and they and the way they wanted him to say them. All this was apparently being done to set the stage for a future event where they intended to reveal far more of themselves and their agenda to save the public. Well, now's as, as good a time as any. Yeah, so even even the Illuminati don't believe Zachariah Sitchin. <laughs> Let's see. Continuing on, he discusses an incident where um, this guy Ron, I believe, was Ron from the uh, Law of One guys. Oh, like uh, the the group of people who questioned the the woman who was channeling. Ron. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Oh, okay, yeah. So uh, Ron was walking around, and uh, eventually he got close to um, some doors that he had discovered in the woods. Uh, and he opened them, and two men in military fatigues were standing them. Both of them were carrying machine guns. They told him to turn around, walk away, and never tell anyone what he saw or where he went. All right, and this why would be would his they, only warning. Why would they not have guards outside the facility? Like, you could just walk into this location and like, hey. Yeah. Leave. Hey. <laughs> like, okay. Fuck off. Yeah, we'd never tell anyone about this mysterious location in the yeah. woods. No, I know if we hadn't come out, he wouldn't have known anything, but yeah, we had to warn him. Uh, let's see. David finally gets back to his dreams. Um, oh, thank God. Let's see. He pretty much predicts another car crash again. I don't know how David keeps getting in. I think he's just a bad driver. I, yeah. I don't think I don't yeah. think he's a, a prophet. I think he's a shitty driver which are yeah. two very different professions pretty much here's a here's a pretty pretty good one to end this particular chapter uh on may 1st i attended a basketball game and ate french fries while i was there <laughs> this was not at all I'm something just like you fellow humans <laughs> no no this is this was not at all something i would normally do oh, okay when i got into my car the odometer said one two six 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 four now six 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 is not a positive number synchronicity as a general rule, and I interpreted it as a major statement against the idea of eating fries. As I continued <laughs> thinking this was a definite no, I looked up and saw a phone number on a billboard that ended in 666. Then I immediately looked back at the odometer, and it was now 126666. Even the tenths was almost exactly at 6 as I passed the sign. Clearly, I was being guided to improve my diet. Combined with the other messages, this seemed to be another key element to establishing contact with positive extraterrestrials. So the fucking, the aliens are communicating to him through Luciferian symbology to improve his diet. Correct. Okay. All right. Correct. I can, at least I can understand this part. Yeah. Once again. That... As long as I can understand it, I'll, I'll, I'll ride, I'll ride the fucking wave. Yeah. As one... long as I can uh, feel it out. But once again, this, this chat, that chapter was kind of what, uh, what saved it for me. Yeah. yeah no, I'm, was... I'm back in here. If he's talking about how his odometer's telling him to uh, stop eating French fries, I am, I am way back on board. Yeah. Now the next chapter he goes over. <laughs> The Watchers, but primarily he discusses the Betty, Andreas, and Luca case. And what's funny is he discusses how Corey Good's story is pretty much identical. What a coincidence. Yes. Now, he obviously takes that. To As imply a sign that they're both. They're correct. Yeah. Okay. Yes. 
Um, we also get the idea that uh, the Greys were akin to biological robots that were being controlled by beings called the Elders, which are the tall white guys with white hair. Bill Walton. (laughs) (laughs) Oh, God, Bill Walton is an alien. If that that was the first one you had to deal with. You know what? If anyone on this earth who's a tall white guy is an alien, Bill Walton would be be that alien. Yeah. And if the uh, aliens were like Bill Walton, then we'd all be good. We'd just be wearing tie-dye and getting stoned. We're going to be hooping. Yeah, we're all watching hoops, fucking smoking doobies, yeah, eating fries. So he goes on, the elders described themselves as ambassadors of O. This was the name they gave for the one infinite creator. Oprah's and it channel. the same, chanting the Aum, which the Hindus believed was the sound of God. When I discussed this with Corey Good, he said that both positive and negative groups of extraterrestrials create and use greys to do work for them. Uh... Robots cannot be used owing to an ongoing problem with a predatory artificial intelligence that we have discussed extensively in our articles, lectures, and television shows. Wait, so the greys are like the bitch aliens? Like, they're the... So... They're like the pledges in a motorcycle gang? You gotta fucking... They gotta go do the bidding of the higher aliens? I mean, I guess for all intents and purposes, they're robots. They're just like robots that are alive. So, okay. All right. All right. So they're, they're, they're bio... Physical, but like robots, they're yeah, yeah. Um, he talks about historical appearances of greys, a few different instances of them appearing in the middle ages as fairies and whatnot. Uh-huh. Um, which wasn't anything particular new, I had, I had heard most of that before. Um, so they discussed Betty's story about how she walked outside and found a blue orb, and mm-hmm. that blue orb blew up. Encircled her and took her to the fucking aliens. Just the way Corey Good gets to uh, gets to the aliens. This was precisely the same thing Corey Good was told. Oh, there you go. Namely, that the orbs he was interacting with were living and intelligent beings with awareness and a sense of purpose about what they were doing. I'd like to interject here very briefly. I think at some point after uh, we finish our David Wilcox series, we're gonna have to touch on Corey Good a little. I, yeah, I expect there to be a Corey Good episode or two uh, in our future. Yeah, I would. I would. I'd say that's a pretty safe uh, bet. Yeah, I think. I think we got to cover the man after we went after David this uh, <laughs> for a fucking month. <laughs> yeah, we might as well get his partner in crime. Yeah, it's, uh, uh, it's like talking about Batman without Robin. Let's see. Oh, this is so. This is the birth of a blue orb. Uh, the elders stood together in a triangular pattern. They reached their arms out to one another and touched their palms together, so their arms formed a triangle. Then they began meditating and chanting. Betty was astonished to see a triangle of light form between the three of them as they did this. Each corner of the triangle emerged from the third eye centers of the beings, meaning that each being's forehead had two lines of light coming out of it. The lines connected into a perfect triangle. An additional circle of light formed in the middle of this triangle, perfectly centered. This also caused another circle of light to form around the entire group. Oh, three more enter the group. This also caused another circle of light to form around the entire group. In addition to the ring of light that was still inside the Star of David, as strange as this may sound, I actually cried when I read this. Some part of me seemed to have a distant memory of working with light like this and creating grid patterns with the help of others working together as a team. The pattern then shrank and collapsed into its center, forming a violet-colored ball of light. Do you think he derives meaning from it being called the Star of David? Like, do you think... Definitely. You think he he thinks it's somehow related to himself? Definitely. 
Definitely. I think I'm so too. Sure. Yeah, yeah, yeah. There's there's no way you couldn't. Yeah. But so that's pretty much how the blue orbs are made by Jew magic. <laughs> Goddamn heebs. Fucking Jewish magic is all it takes. I thought he was going to blame my people at first, but uh, yeah, I guess I need, I got to find myself some other uh, heebs to hold hands and shoot beams of light out of our heads. You okay. guys won't notice a difference, but we, we had to take a break after, uh, every so often when we do these episodes, we got to stop and uh, take a breather. He's a lot. He's a lot. It's... You, you remember that old, like, anti-drug commercial where this is your brain on drugs and then yeah. she cracks the eggs? and Yeah. yeah it, David scrambles the egg. Yeah, he's like snorting fucking crack. <laughs> he's snorting at the gig. Uh, all right, so we're moving on, and David finally gets into his involvement in the UFO community. What page, by the way, out of curiosity? F- 452, and it ends at about 520. <laughs> Okay, 80-something percent of the way into the book, he brings up the fact that... The thing he's known for. Yeah, okay. Um, But beforehand, he discusses how uh, he was getting the money to attend the event, and someone loaned it to him. Slinging that dope. (laughs) Antonio was very mad about this. Oh, shit. In his thick Spanish accent, Antonio berated me. Cocaina. (laughs) You haven't had a steady job for months, fool. Now, David... (laughs) Who the, what the hell do you think you're doing borrowing and spending someone else's money? And for what? To go and see a goddamn UFO conference who, where nobody knows anything? You have everything you need here. If you have any questions about UFOs, you can ask me. You don't need these people. All they are doing is making money. And now they're tricking you into stealing from other people to pay for it. You're not going to. This is ridiculous. You either need to go upstairs, get that money, and pay her back right now, or at least promise... Us that you will use this loan for something reasonable, like paying for food and rent. You need to get a life, fool. Hell yeah, Antonio. Yeah. So his made-up character at least fucking talks some sense into him. Yeah, so either these are actually real people, or David has potentially fractured into multiple personalities. There's an old uh, horror movie from, like, the early 2000s. I can't remember what it's called. It's, like, Eight Faces or something. But the, it's about a serial killer who's, like, loose in a motel after he broke out of a being transported by police and he goes through killing all the different people and in the end it turns out he just had split personality and he was killing all those his other personalities look that's what david is this is the first time david is named like eight people and just not given a last name at least his old insiders used to be like people peterson yeah yeah I, well, I mean, at least, like, Pete Peterson ended up being an actual pseudonym for someone. Yeah, it was It was a real... I have I have seen Pete Peterson. Yeah. These so, are most likely imaginary people. Almost, if I had to guess. Almost definitely. They're all just stand-ins for Corey Goode. Yeah, otherwise they would appear on camera. Um, or, so, so David responds to Antonio's outburst with... Uh, Antonio, with all due respect, I am getting a life. I've invested way more hours of my life into this world, which people are exploring at this conference and others like it, than anything else I have ever done. I can't keep working dead-end jobs like this. That's no life. I have read over 300 books now. 300! And nothing is stopping me. No, wait, wait, hold on. You're fucking with me. No. No. He even says, I have read over 300 books now. 300 and nothing is stopping me. <laughs> All right. Yeah. Can I? 
I'm just going to start stunting on them and be like, I've read 400. I read 302. Yeah, I read three, uh, uh, 300 plus infinity. Yeah, th- this is ridiculous. Yeah. He, he has dropped the 300 book thing 10 uh, plus times in this book. At least. I'll have to go back and count Easy. at the end, but yeah, at least. And he does it at all his talks. He does it frequently during interviews. Uh-huh. Three. Okay. So let's see. He's read uh, 300 books. He 300. He gets there and he meets with Dr. Mendelker, who we described uh, before. Uh, but since he had a career as a professional therapist, he wanted it to happen in the guise of a paid one-hour ses- session. <laughs> yeah, of course. I, I told him I had very little money, and he said he worked on a sliding scale and gave me a small price that I could afford. My entire session essentially revolved around one question. Did he think I had what it takes to be a professional UFO researcher? Could I build an audience, get a book deal, and achieve enough success to end up speaking at events just like this? To make the case, I laid out all the evidence. I talked about having read over 300 books on the subject. No, no, (laughs) no, you're fucking with me. You're fucking, oh, and I am going to step away from the mic momentarily to double check the fucking book. Right there. Couldn't make it up if I wanted to. Right, yeah, right in the middle. Of, there it is. Wow. Jesus, I talked about having. I'll read the rest of the. I talked about having read over three hundred books on the subject. I mentioned that I had now become a scholar of the Law of One series, his favorite source text, and had worked through all four of the books in meticulous detail. So I guess those are four of the three hundred. I describe how, how I had discovered many connections between the Law of One and other bodies of information. <coughs> That no one had ever seen before, at least in terms of anything I could find online or in a bookstore. So he really does mention 300 that frequently. I think he does it a few more times, too. Wow. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, and he wonders why some of these people have uh, poor reactions to him at first. I've read over 300 books. I'm David Wilk. <laughs> like, yeah. just meet and uh, greets. Just shaking I just, hands. I just love that he thinks that's like... I have a PhD. You know what it is? If he was Larry the Cable Guy, that's his get her done. <laughs> that's his. Yeah, I've read over bit. 300 books is his. Get that's her his, done. He, he's, you might be a redneck. Yeah, he's got merch with uh, 300 books on it. He's, he's got all all the, he's got the 300 books red bumper stickers. <laughs> I'm surprised his website is, and I've read 300 books. I've read 300, 300books.com. Have we checked if that's in his bio yet? Oh, well, maybe he should have read 300 different ones because the writing in this one is shit. Let's see. So Dr. Mendelker replied, I absolutely believe in you, David. Because you paid me to say so. <laughs> you have one of the most remarkable wanderer stories I have ever heard. You are clearly operating at a genius level as an intellect, and you were highly prolific researcher. Very few of the people speaking at this event have done as much research and fact-finding as you have. I think you do need to get a job in order to stabilize yourself. But you can also use that structure to buy yourself some time. Once you dig yourself out of this current crisis, I think the main thing you need to do is just start giving back to the world. Take the things you are learning, put them together, and get them out there. Learn how to make a website, as I'm sure you're smart enough to figure out. Once you put information out there, anyone will be able to find it. Then you can start trying to get yourself on some radio show. Perhaps you'll even make it onto Art Bell one day. You can do this, David. You absolutely can. All right. Can I, I believe in you. I'm going to retract some of the negative shit I said about Mendelker for, for actually giving him solid advice. 
Yeah. So I, I, one one point uh, to Mr. Mendelker for telling him to actually get a job and then worry about the side hustle. And telling him to build a website. That's that's pretty that's that's good foresight for the time. Yeah. That's very specific. Yeah. For that dude to have told him, but yeah, that's pretty good evidence. That was a pretty good uh, suggestion. Yeah, that was solid advice. And it ended up working. Because mm-hmm. here we are talking so, about him. <clears throat> continuing on, uh, he meets Dr. Brown. Um Oh, he meets Doctor Oh no. He finally <laughs> meets he meets all his all his heroes. Uh, I could see he was wiped out and having, after having met so many rock stars as a kid, I knew the best <laughs> thing I could do would be to stay very calm, <laughs> ask him a few questions <laughs> and let him talk. I just, he just always has to, yeah. to do that. I knew the perfect thing to do because when I was two, something happened. Yeah. It's, uh, uh, obnoxious. Yeah. And he just, I don't know if he can't help himself or if he's just... He's crossed that far over into the I need I need positive now you know affirmation. What? The way I think his mind works is us common folk are wondering how is it that David always knows the right thing to do in every situation. So David sees fit to explain to us commoners how it is that he knew how to handle the situation. Yep. I think I think that's the the context of it. Yeah, it is funny how, in hindsight, he's handled everything perfectly. Yeah. But uh, so during this conve- uh, uh, Dr. Brown's talk or whatever, yeah. David gets up and he asks a very prescient question. And uh, after he speaks with Dr. Brown outside, he goes back into the convention. And uh, as soon as I went back inside and headed over to the conference room, a few people recognized me as the guy with the book from Dr. Mandelker's talk. They started asking me questions about the Law of One series, and I answered them to the best of my ability. Within minutes, I had attracted a crowd of at least 15 people who were all leaning in and listening attentively to every word I said. Their eyes were wide. The more they asked, the more they realized that I knew. After several minutes, one guy told me, They need to invite you to speak here, David. You know a lot more than most of the people at this thing. I immediately started charging. (laughs) And you're also a much better speaker. This information is amazing and the world needs to know about it. You have somehow found the deep spiritual core of the UFO phenomenon and where it is taking us as a planet and as a species. I've never heard anyone else talk like this before. It's amazing. Everyone around (laughs) him was nodding their heads and agreeing with him. I thanked him and asked them all to put in a good word for me. Yeah, I'm sure someone said that. That happens all the time. Wow, David, you're so amazing. You're (laughs) so perfect and right. It's incredible. How do you know all this? Have you read 300 books? It's like you've read several hundred books. Uh, yeah, it's uh, that's like the pep talk you give yourself in the shower before you have to go do something important, like him psyching himself up, like, yeah. I'm so good, David. <laughs> oh, fuck, David. How'd you know all that? You yeah. know everything, David. You you're, so got this. You're so smart. You're so good at speaking. You're so much better than everyone else. Yeah, pretty much. It's just, it's, uh, yeah, that's, I think that's what's changed about him most, at least in Ego. terms of his writing. Ego. Yeah, he never felt the need to say how it was his, uh, he he should get all the credit for these discoveries. It used to be like, I'm just giving the information to the people. All right, wait a second. Now, this may just be the massive quantity of drugs I just consumed during that break talking, but I've had an epiphany. Um, What if... 
All right, so ego is clearly David's problem, correct? correct. I, I think we're we're both in agreement on that. Correct. Who was it that he was trying to research when his computer kept crashing? It was one Mr. Terrence McKenna. Indeed it was. What does Terrence McKenna talk about? Psychedelic drugs. Yes, he does. What fucking kills the ego? Psychedelic, Psychedelic drugs. We're getting David to trip with us. We're going to go do mushrooms, David. This is... We we will reunite the UFO community. Yeah, we're gonna have a group a group uh, mushroom trip with the UFO community. Yes, and David, we will be kind. We will be gentle. We for, will be your shamans. And for you squares, this is medicine. Yeah, this is fucking medicine. You fucking losers. Yeah, this is how the shamans all really communicate yeah. with the aliens. So don't be don't be gay. You drink a forty of old English and then you eat some mushrooms and you you watch things on TV and laugh. All right, I'll lead the. I will shaman the UFO community mushroom trip if we need to go. I there. only say this half jokingly. I honestly think a heavy dose of mushrooms would completely change him for the better. Oh, David, definitely. Yeah, David definitely could use some insight. Like I think, I think we. It took us a full month of talking about this book to have this epiphany, but I, I think we found our our end game. All right, David. We're gonna you can come on the pod, and we're gonna do mushrooms, bro. We're gonna we're gonna relieve you of your ego. Um, let's see. So at the same conference, David does get a uh a dose of reality. That let's put it that way. Okay. Uh, <laughs> shortly after I returned home from the conference on October October eighteenth, nineteen ninety six, I finally got a letter from my biggest hero at the time, Richard C. Hoagland. Although it was nice to finally be acknowledged, he wasn't terribly supportive. Hoagland's, he saw pyramids on my forehead. <laughs> Hoagland said that all I was doing was combining other people's research. He felt that if I really wanted to contribute to the community, I needed to start doing my own independent research. Once I generated my own data, I could build my own platform and make a name for myself. I did see the logic in what he was saying, and the best chance I had to build up my own material was to somehow try to make direct telepathic contact with extraterrestrials. So, uh -huh. so his so, hero tells him to stop doing what he keeps doing. And then he magically decides he can be somewhere someone else. Yeah, pretty much. Pretty much. Hell of a coincidence. Hell of a coincidence. I just love that he sent that dude a letter and the dude was like, yeah. Dear I, Richard, I wrote you, but you still, <laughs> yeah, you stand him. Yeah, well, it's just like. From the the chapter we just read a little while back, like I'm sure that letter was just nothing but David restating facts. Dear Mister Hoagland, I have re I've read over three hundred books. Oh, that I, was one thousand percent somewhere in the letter. Yeah, I I don't know what his leader is, but I would assume that's that's the the start of the paragraph. Yeah. So let's see. Continuing on, <clears throat> David begins uh, getting really into his prophecies. Uh, one of my favorites here was. Uh, about Mother Teresa. So he, he talks about how his reading clearly seemed to be referring to Mother Teresa, and the beings identified her as one of our women. The references to her being a sibling and the Christian were further clues that they were referring to Mother Teresa. Then they said that she was inoperative and it was rough. This message came through on November 10th, 1996, and less than two weeks later on November 22nd, 1996... She had a heart attack. This stunning prophecy... <laughs> I was completely wrong. But hold on, to clarify quickly, you're talking about this is when David goes through, he 
like he works as a psychic for a while. Uh, no, no, no. This That's is not this. No, no, no. This is David uh, writing. I should have explained it. This is David writing what he calls his dream voice, which is when you're first waking up in the morning. There's the little voice in your head, uh-huh. and you're supposed to write down any whatever whatever you got there. You're not even supposed to think about it. You just write it down, no matter how weird. Okay. So essentially, you end up just writing nonsense, which is kind of what Edgar Casey did. That's why he was calling it the sleeping prophet or the sleepy whatever the fuck it was. It's yeah. Because he would like put himself in essentially a state of of sleep and. Yeah, we're getting. Yeah, we're heading in that direction. That's what he's teasing. But uh. Okay. So, so yeah. He, so he starts doing that, and he it's, says it's growing. He, he the setup to that seemed like she was gonna die of cancer. Yeah. Here, I'll read the the. The particular uh, section in question. Some of the other ones are fucking long. Okay. But uh, in this one, uh, I am impressed with that which you, the vehicle, have designed. Nature, motivation, motivational programs with humans and all that. They, the extraterrestrials, make a special return. The longest I've ever seen of that is the coverage of evolution. (laughs) It is also a million years, which encompasses everything. German, Spanish, etc. One of our women... (laughs) Teresa, a sibling, inoperative, the Christian, psychically. It was rough. They nailed this in, the sin. You know, I think a lot of people jump to their conclusions in silence. That's what the Trinity is. You ever talk to a homeless guy outside a liquor store? I'm telling you, man. That's, some that's of, what that shit sounds like. Yeah, that's why I probably won't read a ton of them because they definitely don't. I think they that are was so sufficient. long. That was but, sufficient enough to get an idea of what we're dealing with. So that paragraph con- corresponds with the stunning prophecy of Mother Teresa's heart attack was a profound wake up call. Once it came to pass, I could no longer deny that I was experiencing an authentic contact with higher intelligences. <laughs> yeah, I, after reading that paragraph, how could you possibly deny it? Right? I just, yeah. like, I don't... Wait. Teresa is the only thing... I guess Teresa and Christian, but Teresa was a Catholic, not and, a Christian. And sin? Yeah. He, yeah, it's some... He he starts doing some wild leaps. This was, this was the other section where I... <laughs> this was another uh, almost... I, yeah, where I questioned how much I wanted to finish this. <laughs> we could just cut the book a few hundred pages short. You could easily have cut the book a few hundred pages short. But uh, this is one fun incident from one of David's jobs where he was working at the, uh, I don't know if it was a facility for handicapped people still or some, it was a psychiatric facility of some so, sort. It, it back to like the job he had before where he's yeah. essentially he's uh, he's a, Keeper of the retards. Yeah. I was the first... Oh, uh, violence ended up breaking out at work on November 18th, and a staff person was bitten. I was the first one to intervene and do a bite release, as I had been taught and certified to do at my other job. This resulted in a bitter and ultimately hopeless argument, since this facility had never wanted to use SKIP techniques. SKIP stands for Strategic Crisis Intervention and Prevention, and I was trained in it from my prior place of employment. One of the things we were taught to do was to perform takedowns, where we safely get the person to the ground with their arms wrapped around them so they cannot do further harm. Uh, you won't believe this, but he ended up being forced to leave the job within the exact time window that the reading had named, although I took the final step of quitting before they could fire me. Shortly after the in- this incident, on November 22nd, I took my break time at work to meditate deeply and see if I could pull a reading. So David tackled a retard and they fired him for it. <laughs> 
I, the idea of him tackling someone is actually what's most impressive to me. Well, I just like the idea that he was there with like a bachelor's degree being essentially a step above an intern. Yeah. And seeing a retard bite a nurse and going, I got this. And just running across <laughs> the room, just tackling, fucking him. taking him out like a linebacker. <laughs> or, Dude, you're going to be fine. You're going to be fine. Just like got him in like a fucking judo grip. David, what are you doing? David, stop beating up the retarded guy. No, I have a bachelor's degree, and I've read over 300 books. I know what I'm doing. I've read 300 books on how to beat up retarded people. Yeah, it's yeah. that was I, that was what kept me going right there, was that little chunk. Yeah, where Dave, the idea of David tackling a retard and getting fired for it is so fucking funny. <laughs> that was pretty fucking... And also the idea, good. after getting fired from three other places for overstepping his bounds he once again just like no i can save this day not hey get a doctor being fired three times in such a short period is pretty fucking wild because i have i've never been fired i've never been fired from a job and i have definitely deserved being fired i used to work with kids and i would show up drunk like, like yeah, I, it's uh, pretty hard to get fired this much. Yeah, like uh, I used to drink four locos and then go fucking babysit kids at a school. Maybe S- David needs to start uh, drinking heavier. Trying to think of how long ago I did this. I don't know if that's still a crime. Um, man, you didn't give the kids any. No, that was it. that was like when I was nineteen, twenty. They that brought was, their that own. Was back in the day. Yeah, I used to do fucking cocaine, play capture the flag. It was a good old time. You were the fun counselor. Yeah, everyone loved me. Uh, David also predicts his job at uh, Guyum TV, (laughs) which I... He calls it Guyum in his prediction? Yeah, I guess so. Oh, well, not in, like, the actual prediction. Oh. Uh, In the actual prediction, it doesn't really say anything about that, but... (laughs) So in the actual prediction, he doesn't predict it. He just retroactively inserts the, like... Yeah. The prediction into it. At one point, uh, one of his writings was apples and oranges can be a pair, you know, if that lands national. And that was apparently a reference to Corey Good because they're apples, apples and, and oranges. oranges. Yeah. Okay. All right. I saw that one coming. Mm-hmm. Now, I can't tell if he's he'd been fairly polite with it regards to Corey Good. So I can't it's tell if he's. Because he doesn't want to get sued. Uh, I can't tell if he's setting up the reunion. Or oh, if they, he just doesn't want to burn his own source. I think they desperately want a reunion. They are way more powerful together than they are alone. Yeah, they're like blue in exile. Yeah, no, it, that's a very fitting reference that uh, no one in our audience will get. But it's true because he, listen, Corey Good is still out there. He's like living rock star life. I saw I saw him on the gram wearing a leather jacket, hanging out with like the singer from Red's uh, Jumpsuit Apparatus. Oh, fuck yeah. Co- I mean, Corey Good's like balling right now. They like got their own channel for a minute. And and David Wilcox now been reduced to poor quality live streams in which he belittles his wife. <laughs> like, what are you doing? Where he, he Someone put together, this might be, this is either a Jay Widener or a Stino Bobina like supercut, but one of those uh, two put together... Like, it just all the times he kind of yells at his wife since they set up his new <laughs> YouTube channel. And it's pretty frequent. It's pretty frequent. 
That's some good stuff. I, I, maybe I'll try and find that after this. Um, let's see. So here's the, the prophecy about his car crash, and this is, this is all he, he pulls from. Have some tea. My gift to the world will be a three and a half by 11 sheet, sheet of paper. Expect it on Friday. This runs counter to earlier systems of thought. We can work on visual sights. 90 minutes till 10. Okay. Now, David, uh, that same Friday, as David is driving on U.S. Route 9W to Poughkeepsie. At 8.30 a.m., 90 minutes before 10? We're going to get there. Okay. The cars ahead of me came to a sudden stop out of nowhere, and I slammed on the brakes. My car slid forward nearly 35 feet through the slush, and I gently tapped the bumper of the car in front of me, leaving a dime-sized dent. This hurt my three-and-a-half-inch penis, as referenced in the prophecy. The woman insisted on having the police arrive. The passage began by saying, have some tea, and some of the emergency personnel were drinking hot tea after they arrived in order to stay warm. The state police officer wrote me a ticket for the accident, which was on a three-and-a-half by eleven sheet of paper, and the reading said, my gift to the world will be a three-and-a-half by eleven sheet of paper. Wait, three-and-a-half by a... a Three-and-a-half by eleven, a ticket. Oh, I guess, yeah, I guess that's about the size of a ticket. Yeah. Uh... The time he assigned to the collision was 8.30 a.m., which was indeed 90 minutes till 10. This accident happened almost exactly one year after my previous one, with a difference of only 12 days. I had a hard time understanding how this accident could be a gift to the world, but in hindsight, this event did help me to become far more considerate of others and thereby further activate my own ascension process. Based on the context, this reading also could be a 9-11 prophecy. First okay. of all, <laughs> now you got me. First of all, the 9/11 event is always written as the numeral 9, a slash, and then the numeral 11. In the reading, I was told that the source's gift to the world would be a three and a half by 11 sheet of paper. The measurements of the paper had a slash in them, followed by 11. Three and a half by 9/11. <laughs> Additional support was given when the time was marked at as 90 minutes until 10. If we eliminate the zeros, this passage fixed the numerals 9 and 1, the two key numbers of 9-11. This may all seem like a reach, but not when it's, we see what sure came does. in that same Friday. Other 9-11 prophecies also came in later that were far, far more precise, and I featured several of them in the synchronicity key. <laughs> so, so because he had the numbers 9 and 1. Yeah. He so, also could have used that to say that's why the police showed up because nine one one, you know. Yeah, like so, it, three sentences turned into that. Oh man! <clears throat> now, continuing with nine eleven. Okay, the All greatest right. science fiction story ever told. Oh yes! Now we have finally reached the morning of Friday, December sixth, nineteen ninety six. This is when I had my strongest nine eleven prophecy, including the actual numerals nine eleven, as well as pass a passage with the ironic joke that. CBS and ABC give it adequate coverage. Once we see this in context, the many other statements in this reading not only apply to my going through a personal dark night of the soul and healing process, they also indicate that a similar collapse would happen with the patriarchal negative elites who have dominated our planet for centuries, if not millennia. The negative elite were very likely involved in planning and carrying out 9-11, as many scholars have argued and as I discussed in the Ascension Mysteries. 9-11 actually represented a defeat for them, as I argued with historical cycle analysis in the synchronicity key. At this time, I will pause this reading and step in for commentary as we go along. <laughs> so his reading is, 
Under the aegis of friendly planetary transformation, the talk show host has got a new one. They're all special effects designed to ride the lightning bolts. That's one way of losing their cookies is to get real syndicated. <laughs> it's, doctor it's doctor recommended. Who is going to ask the pediatrician? Who is going to look at the self with tangible results? Self-awareness is the key to building a foundation. Irony. If you're on the floor, you might have to postpone. Once we see the prophetic references to 9-11, we can understand what this passage is talking about. First of all, this tragedy did create years' worth of conversation for talk show hosts. This included the idea that 9-11 was an inside job. Uh -huh. Less than two years after 9-11, I read intelligence leaks from the investigator Sherman Skolnick saying that the buildings were brought down by low-yield mini-nuke devices, according to his insiders. Oh, he's going with the mini-nuke theory. Yeah. According to Skolnick, in 1992, members of our investigative group spent about four months extensively interviewing Michael Riconosciotto, described by those who knew him well as a weapons and electronic genius, which what we verified he is was he ran afoul of the American CIA because he divulged to a congressional committee the dirty business of daddy business, and others in the spook industry. <clears throat> As we confirmed, he helped invent... Inappropriate to use racial slurs, David. <laughs> <laughs> he helped uh, invent and develop a subatomic weapon he and others called Blue Lightning. If the truth about Blue Lightning comes out, will ordinary Americans find out what really took down, as by controlled demol demolitions, the World Trade Center Twin Towers and World Trade Center Building 7 in Manhattan, September 11, 2001? According to my insider, Pete Peterson, Hell the, yeah. <laughs> the blue lightning devices are only about the size of the top, top joint of your thumb, and they are referred to as fifth-gen nukes. The code name of blue lightning was used because of the visible blue energy they gave off. Isn't, like, Mad Dog 2020 the cheap, like, hobo wine? Don't they call that? Or no, moonshine is white lightning. Yeah, moonline, but, moonshine is white lightning. Okay, that's uh, that's just the alcoholic in me immediately trying to draw it back. To, <laughs> You're just trying to relate. Yeah, I'm just I'm just trying to yeah I'm trying to find common ground here. So he continues on talking about his his nine eleven prophecies. He does another reading, but uh, basically he says uh, that the previous one made little sense for his car crash, but perfect sense for nine eleven. Oh yeah. Uh, then it said a cast iron fence is wrought around the victim's body. Indeed, the support beams of the World Trade Center were made of steel, and wrought iron is a form of iron that has been made stronger by being heated and then worked with tools. After the World Trade Center fell, a small area of beams remained standing. This was the cast iron fence that was wrought around the victim's body. So he's going full Nostradamus here. Yeah, he's he's definitely uh, doing a little, little bending and... Uh... Breaking now, of, of his words to uh, make this fit. Now, here's where he pulled the move. I thought I wasn't shocked he did it, but I didn't think he would do it. Okay. Uh, beginning with the concluding chapter. To properly review everything that happened and all the astonishing future prophecies that these readings gave me, I will need to write at least one more book. <laughs> In all honesty, it will probably take more than one volume just to cover the basics to a level where I feel satisfied. All right, so, so we're going to hear a lot more of he the sets same up, stories. He sets up the sequel right there. Wow. I didn't think he'd do it in the book. No. I didn't think he'd do it in the book. I thought I thought they'd wait. Especially after the first 200 pages of this was just him reframing shit he's already talked about. Exactly. So exactly. I don't know how he's going to give more than one more book unless he just keeps repeating shit he already did. Well, that's why I feel like we need to talk to the man because, like, 
bro, I'll help you research a book that isn't shit. Mushrooms. Like, look, man, <laughs> you make good money off these books. I'll I'll do it for like I'll do, we'll do it on the cheap, dog. We'll yeah. be your research team. Shit. It's we we're we're here to help David. I mean, I just think one man can only go so far, especially a man whose contacts are almost certainly untrue. Oh yeah. And we we can get into that uh, and his Cory Goods alleged I'm going to say alleged schizophrenia, even though I'm almost positive it's his sister who said he's a schizophrenic. Yeah, wasn't it his sister or his wife who confirmed it? I believe so. I will continue to say alleged because they are very litigious uh, people. Not that that matters. We have lawyers on staff here at uh, Team Illuminatus. I'm going to be real. In a court of law, I think I could argue he's schizophrenic. (laughs) Yeah, I think think we might be able to do that. But, um, yeah, like uh, that... That 9-11 stuff, that's that's the David I want. I also love how just everyone who's ever thought they've had a prophecy has to be related to 9-11. Everyone has, if you're a prophet, you have to have called 9-11. Well, that's the thing. There's there's very few, you know, every whatever, 50 years, there's a handful of events that fuck shit up. In our, in our lifetime, we've yeah, had... Usually like once a decade. Yeah, in our lifetime, we've had... Columbine, 9-11. Now, our lifetime's been a little more than most, because we also had, yeah, 9-11, yeah. financial collapse, war in Iraq, yeah, uh, WMDs, Barack Obama. <laughs> you throw him up there with weapons of mass destruction. Donald Trump. I would say... Well, uh, moments of great change. Yeah, and then I would put, obviously, what we're going through now up there. Yeah. Where there's certain events where they're so fucking big <laughs> that if you claim to be a prophet, but you miss those... Yeah, what do you, who what are you good for? Yeah. It's like claiming to be a baseball player but you can't hit the ball out of the infield. Like you can only like your your, your swing your just, swing button? Yeah. yeah. So, if you're going to claim to be a prophet, you got to be able to nail the big ones. Uh <clears throat> here's another fun tale about David not being able to pay the rent. <laughs> Roughly 2 weeks later, Eric walked into the schoolhouse and was extremely serious when he told me, "You need to sit down. You're not going to believe this." I laughed at first, but he was not smiling, so I did what he said. You remember that reading you got from me about new paltz, he asked? Of course, I replied. Get this. My mother just got a call from the bursar's office at new paltz. They were moving their office from one room to another. One of the last things they had to move was a file cabinet. As they pulled the file cabinet away from the wall, they found an envelope behind it. Inside that envelope was a Stafford loan check made out to me for $900. David, the check is still good. She just put it in the mail, and we will have it tomorrow. Now we can pay the rent. Ooh. I was absolutely flabbergasted. Despite the fact that we both held jobs, we had run out of money and desperately needed $867 to pay the rent. David tricked his money off? I guess on UFO conferences, probably. Yeah, those uh, things ain't cheap. All right, listen, David tricking off money is pretty fucking funny. Like, if he's just got some... Versace robes and that would be funny if he was just buying ball and clothes. Yeah, if David's just if he's doing that with the money, I'm cool with it. Yeah. So now we move on. Hitting the strip club. We David's got bottle service. <laughs> Do you know I've read over three hundred books? I've just drank over three hundred <laughs> bottles. Ah, <laughs> oh, David as an alcoholic would be so fun. <laughs> Way better. Maybe him and I can switch spots now that I'm off the hooch. Maybe yeah. I can get David on it. I kind of want to get David smoking weed again. We got to, I told you, we got to find a way to fracture the ego. 
if yeah. we can if we can reduce him back to his root self, we can rebuild him into the man he's he's destined to be. Yeah, I mean, we need, he needs a little something to. Not... By the way, can someone clip this audio and send it to him instead yeah. of the one where we talk about fucking him being a faggot and potentially doing things to his wife? <laughs> yeah, mislead him. Yes, <laughs> mislead yeah. him, please, by all means. But uh, yeah, so now we get into the unfortunate Casey saga. Oh boy, which is he on? Is he honest about it? Kinda. You'll okay. see. Okay. All right. Uh. Let's see. So he was planning to move to Virginia Beach. That was a big part of this, which yeah. is where the Casey thing is located. He also wanted to buy cocaine from Pusha T. <laughs> he, had to, he had to go hit Virginia. I woke up in a new Bugatti. <laughs> uh, let's see. So continuing on. Uh, one, Casey had readings that said Virginia Beach was a safe land where the damage from catastrophic earthquakes, tsunamis, and the like would be much less serious. There was a notorious Casey reading from an entity calling itself... Halaliel, that said California was going to sink into the ocean in 1998. Whoops. This obviously did not happen, but with all the <laughs> accurate prophecies I was experiencing in 1997, I did not want to take a chance. The ARE would later release publications explaining that Halaliel was a trickster entity that Casey called in by allowing himself to be angry at his detractors. Oh, so Casey fucked up and allowed the, the evil got, spirits to enter by got, not being pure. Yeah, he got mad. He got mad. Uh, second reason for going to Virginia Beach was that the ARE had a graduate program in metaphysics with a school they called Atlantic University. Therefore, I could go to the safety land and still get an education, even if nothing happened in 1998. <laughs> so uh, while there, he was being instructed by a man named Skip, Weather Skip Weatherford. All right, that sounds like a made-up name, too. A lot of these names do sound Skip made Skip Weatherford? Uh, not long after we started working together, he gave me a hypnotic regression to see if I could find any additional info about a possible past life in Atlantis. Uh, while under hypnosis, I had fuzzy memories of being a prominent leader during that time. Of course. In the, fuzzy mem- uh, in, in the regression, I realized that I had become karmically bound to the Earth as a result of mistakes I had made in that lifetime. Specifically, I remembered having a feeling of intellectual superiority and having too much pride in my accomplishments. This was a key factor that led to me having to con- continually reincarnate on Earth for the following 12,000 years. He's going he's gonna to be here for another 12,000 if he keeps this up. Yeah, we need to talk to David because you're adding like 1,000 years every page here, yeah, bro. Yeah, uh, you're getting a, a quadruple life sentence for, for just this book. Let's see. Uh, In his second session with Skip, very strange things happened. While doing the reading, he would put a quartz crystal under his left hand and a palm-sized triangular amethyst cluster under his right hand. I'd always found it weird he'd never mentioned crystals in his personal use until then. Yeah, Yeah. that's, uh, I mean, I guess it's part and parcel with this world. If you're this deep, you're, you're, you're into crystals. I might buy a crystal. Good nerd. I gotta start charging it with chakra for the end of the (laughs) world. Uh, let's see. Once under hypnosis, the beings came through and began speaking to Skip directly. So David is channeling beings. He finally, uh, at a certain point, he became aware that all he had to do was think of his next question, and the source would begin answering it. He finally mentioned this out loud and wanted to know how it was possible. My eyes suddenly opened, and I looked at him with pupils that were dilated completely black. He had t- dosed me with ecstasy. <laughs> Maybe. Uh... 
I turned my head, and with an emotionless, almost robotic delivery, my voice said, It is by virtue of the oneness of consciousness that I can do this, as you well know. I was aware enough to notice that he was quite surprised, but was able to hold the trance state, which usually, which was, which was unusually intense in this session. As I left his house to go home, the clock showed 3.33. He just, he can never help himself. I'm going to buy him a clock that skips all repeating digits. Do you think? Like it just goes from 3.32 to 3.34. I'm going to eliminate a few minutes out of his day and we're going to avoid a lot of problems. Do you think his wife is like banned clocks in their house? I would. Because like how often do you think he just walks around like stubs his like toe, just, stubs his toe and goes, "Fuck, what time is it?" <laughs> yeah, just looking. One look. fourteen. All right, if we take three minutes off, one eleven. <laughs> oh shit! It's like uh, one time I I house sat for one of my neighbors. I had never been in his house before, and I I was staying the night there. And later at night, all of a sudden, I just hear an insane amount of noise coming out of one of the rooms. It was like fucking loud as shit. And scared the hell out of me, and I opened the door, and his entire room was just cuckoo clocks. <laughs> it was just an entire room. That's horrifying. So all I heard was like ding dong, and then like bird noises and all all the fucking cuckoo clock shit. But that's how I imagine David's house is. He just has clocks everywhere. So that's where so I he think... doesn't miss a single synchronicity. So that's where I like if he could just. Take a step back. There's a hilarious office type sitcom here where just anytime anything happens, he goes, What time is it? Clock. Okay, so Skip comes back into the equation. Skip Weatherby? Yep. Uh, and tells David he has to come over now. Uh, My parents aren't home. <laughs> you can crash on the couch, man. Uh, I finally relented, got in the car, and drove over. When I walked inside, Skip had a magazine in his hand. He, he had was wearing nothing else. <laughs> I God, I wish this. Dear I, Hustler magazine. <laughs> there's definitely a scenario where that's where this ends. Uh, he had taped a piece of white paper over the cover of the magazine and had cut a rectangular shaped hole in the middle of the paper and put his dick through. No. <laughs> with, a, with a huge swooping movement of his arm, he dramatically and loudly slapped the magazine down on the table and pointed at it. Now who's that? He asked me. Inside the cutout was a portrait of a face that looked exactly the same as mine. It was so similar to me that apart from the strange, antique-looking white collar, I could easily have thought it was a picture of me. At the same time, I could tell that someone had traced over the picture with a colored pencil to bring out some additional details in an early manual version of Photoshop. <laughs> as the silence hung in the air and I continued looking at the picture, I realized this would have to be what Edgar Casey looked like as a young man. I had something to say, so I blurted out. That's Edgar Casey. Skip put his hand on his hip, cocked his head, and smiled widely. Who else does it look like? He asked me. It's incredible, Skip. I have to say, that's my face. What in the world is going on? That's my face. He answered, you're right, David. Your face looks exactly the same as Edgar Casey's face did when he was your age. And look at you now. You're doing readings that are very similar to what he was doing. I don't know if you've studied all the research on reincarnation, but there are scientists like Dr. Ian, Ian Stevenson who have shown that each time we come back, our faces look the same as they did before. I'm telling you, David, I've never seen anything <laughs> like this. Wait, wait, that's that's part of reincarnation is we get stuck with the same face? Yeah, you look exactly the same. 
I got so we should all be able to track our reincarnations then. That means there's got to be like a 1700s version of me. Yeah, I mean, if you get an, if you get enough old timey photos uploaded to the internet, facial re- recognition technology, you could probably find your doppelganger. Remember, we did one about like Greta a couple months back. Oh yeah, where someone found like a picture from 1840 that like it looked kind of like her, and they're like, she's a time traveler to save us. There's another one from like the early 1900s where it's a black dude who looks exactly like Jay Z. It's uh, so maybe maybe we reincarnate with the same fucking face. Who's to Who's to say? Who am I to uh, poo-poo the idea? I guess it would provide some continuity to the times timeline. Yeah. At least if you look the same. That seems like it'd be a real easy way to uh, identify reincarnations going forward. Because anybody <laughs> from about 1950 on is going to have a picture of them somewhere. Well, well, that's the thing. Wouldn't at some point, wouldn't we start noticing like, hey, how come everyone just always looks the same? Guess Plus, have... the population is increasing. So, well, no, the population is always increasing. So, we always there's new faces. Well, but you can new like, character models. Yeah, you can ascend from like a lower density being to a higher one. That's true. But uh, let's see. So he talks about some of the people he met at the Casey Institute. Um, one of them was uh, Jim. Jim Soundboard doesn't doesn't give his last name once again. Soundboard. Uh, yeah, we'll go with that. <laughs> Uh, Jim had a book entitled Edgar Casey's Photographic Legacy, and he was convinced that we would find pictures of people in Casey's inner circle that matched up with the people who were closest to me in my own life. It didn't take long at all to discover that Casey's father, Leslie the Squire, looked exactly like my father. No shit. And my father would only ever buy men's clothing at a place called The Squire Shop in downtown Schenectady. I saw an immediate facial match between Wesley Harrington Ketchum the first person who got Casey to bring his readings out to the world, and my brother Michael. Uh, let's see. My college buddy Chris looked nearly identical to Casey's main financial backer, Morton Blumenthal, who ultimately had a huge falling out with Casey and his team. <laughs> Last, my best friend from high school, Jude, looked almost exactly the same as Morton Blumenthal's very spiritually-minded brother, Edwin. Now, this is an area where he could easily give us their last name. And we'd be able to verify this information very easily? Yeah, because it's not like these people are insiders of the Illuminati. You're going to get murdered because people know their last name. I would not want my last name printed in a David Wilcock book. Um, Just, actually, I take that back. But I could see how some people would read the info he's putting out there and be like, leave me the fuck out of this. Yeah, I, I, could I see don't want to some... get caught up in your fucking weirdo world where you think you're going to get uh, assassinated every fucking few years. I, I don't think David's kept many friends from high school. No. And he does seem to think that uh, the powers that be are going to kill him any minute. Mm-hmm. Or at least he felt that way some years ago. Now, moving on to to David embracing who he really is. With the answer comes great responsibility. Being Edgar Casey reincarnated was bad enough. <laughs> For it meant my life was destined not to be private. I would almost certainly be obligated to share all this with the world, and it would be very controversial, to say the least. However, the far greater conflict was in the fact that Edgar Casey's own readings had said he was the Atlantean priest-king Ra Pata, who built the Great Pyramid. Remember earlier when David said he was doing his regression and that yeah. he was a... A great leader great or whatever. Leader. Uh, okay, there are you, you tying it together? There you go. Uh, the Law of One series had explained how Rapata's mistakes had, ar- had altered the course of history toward the negative. It was very clear that if I was Edgar Casey, then I would also have to be Rapata, 
and if I was indeed Rapata, that meant I had some serious karmic restitution that would need to be made to the world for the bad decisions I had carried out in that lifetime. Furthermore, I knew people would have a hard time with this. I would be laughed at, scorned, and ridiculed on a massive scale. Well, that's his first accurate prediction. <laughs> the whole idea was absolutely terrifying, but I still felt I needed to get to the answer. Uh, then he has a, another session. Or no, this is uh, this is another one of the dream voice things. Okay, so when he first wakes up, this is what he, he writes down. Correct. Uh, uh, table Rock, this is our boss. We will have to move over as he is in charge. What you what we are doing here is starting is staring each other in the face. Sometimes you will need to do that. It should be very easy to take a guess at this point, but with the guess comes responsibility. Enormous responsibility. Furthermore, as you are well aware, your connection with us will need to be dramatically strengthened. In short, David, the answer is yes. You will need to review the whole life and see the parallels. This was profoundly upsetting to me on multiple levels. <laughs> I had seen certain people try to say that they have been someone prominent in another lifetime, and I would always cringe. However, I had to admit that this was a compelling case. My face looked the same as Edgar Cayce's face, and I had an undying interest in ancient Egypt. I had all these dreams in 1995 that seemed to relate to the, to the life of Rapata, and I was pulling in psychic readings that were similar to Edgar's. I did not want to be this person. I had been through ridicule and bullying my entire life, the last thing I wanted to do was to endure more of it. Even more disturbing to me was a prophecy Jim identified in Casey reading 294-151, which seemed to predict that Casey would have reincarnated and discovered his former identity as of 1998, which at this point was just over a month away. Ooh. Let's see. <clears throat> Another Casey dream in Many Happy Returns said that he would be surrounded by many of the same people who had been with him in his previous life at this time. The sense of obligation and stress that these passages put on my shoulders was considerable, since at the time I did not have a website and was completely, <laughs> and was completely obscure on the internet. I just love that he's like, I didn't have a website. How was anybody going to hear me? How could I be Edgar, Edgar Casey without a website? He had many websites. Thank you. That's that's his issue with it is he doesn't have a website. You got you got monetize, man. <laughs> What's the point of doing it if you don't monetize? Just yeah. being a good human, pretty much. Uh, let's see. Uh, he had an astrology software program called the Biwheel, uh, and he did this to <laughs> check the alignment of the planets at Casey's birth and his birth. Let me guess, they were the same. All the inner planets were sitting in exactly the same positions. And all the outer planets were in perfect angular relationships to one another. When I saw this, I literally became sick to my stomach and ran into the bathroom thinking I was going to throw up. I clutched the sides of the porcelain with both hands. I managed to keep it down, but I broke out in a cold sweat. My heart was pounding and I was hyperventilating. This was the point of no return. I knew now that reincarnation was the most logical explanation for all of these connections. <laughs> I did not want this life. I did not want to be this person. He now didn't I, choose the thug life. <laughs> now I knew that I had an immense responsibility to try to right the wrongs I had created, and I would invariably end up having to tell the world about this reincarnation story. Man. So he talks about Casey's readings in his past lives, because Casey was not only Rapata, he was a Persian priest king uh, named Yult. He was Pythagoras, the biblical King David, and the biblical author of the Gospel of Luke. Oh, I didn't know that. 
I guess if you're going to say you're an important motherfucker, you might as well be all the important you might motherfuckers. Be a, yeah, you got to be a... <laughs> now, I'm going to say uh, David Wilcock is a pretty severe drop-off from those previously named... <laughs> if we go, uh, guy who wrote the Bible, King David, Priest David King. Wilcock. Yeah. <laughs> Pythagoras. Yeah, one, one of these names is not like the other. Uh, <clears throat> let's see. However, apart from these amazing-sounding incarnations... Casey also had apparently been a security guard who committed suicide, which had a profoundly negative effect on him, as well as spending his two most recent lives as a man named John Bainbridge, who the readings described as an alcoholic, gambler, womanizer, and wastrel. He liked this life so much that he reincarnated again as his own grandson. <laughs> this was a curious plot twist, because shortly before I left the schoolhouse, Eric had a very powerful dream where all the American founding fathers had reincarnated as these guys who were overweight alcoholics, sitting in front of a TV, eating snacks and drinking beer. Fuck yeah. That sounds way cooler. Yeah, that's what I want You my know why present. he reincarnated as that? Because being it, an alcoholic fucking rules. Yeah, getting fucked up and just eating <laughs> yeah. shit and watching TV, that's called the dream. When you just ignore your responsibilities and drink as much as you want, it's fucking awesome. Look, here's all you need to know. This man was Pythagoras, King David, Luke, and multiple kings. And, and then he also, reincarnated into a different life after each one of those. He did one lifetime of boozing and watching TV and eating whatever the fuck he wants. And he, he went, like, run that shit back. Run it back. Run it <laughs> run back. <that. laughs> run it back. Same team. Run that shit back. We're going again. Yeah. So if you want to know how fun that is, yeah. it's better than being king of Egypt. Now, I will say... It does hurt the liver after a while, but it is, it's really enjoyable. The grandson didn't make it past 30. <laughs> he died of alcohol poisoning in sixth grade. Yeah, I do wonder, like, that is one of the things I think people overlook with reincarnation is like, what about the boring lives you had in between the cool ones? Because, well, like, you can't always have a cool life. Yeah, you can't always be king or something. It's, someone had to be the peasants. Yeah, someone's got to be normal. Yeah, like if you're just all the great men, like uh, I think that kind of taints history. I guess you could argue maybe the people in positions of power have greater karma to work off because their decisions carry more weight. Whereas like if you were a milkmaid, it's not like you fucking accidentally killed a couple hundred people in a battle or something. Yeah, you don't matter. Yeah, exactly. So there's there's less uh, you got less baggage. Yeah. So they continue going on and essentially David just equates different people in his life with being reincarnations of Edgar Casey's friends. Okay. Which is hilarious because now it's gone beyond I was reincarnated to be Edgar Casey. His whole crew was reincarnated. Yeah, they all reincarnated just to keep following me. <laughs> uh, by this point, my readings had repeatedly confirmed that Chris was Blumenthal's reincarnation. The beings told me I had to go and turn myself in and reveal the full story to the management of the ARE. This is the... Uh, Every time you say A-R-E, I think the Joe Rogan experience, uh, the alien Rogan experience. Oh, God, I wish Joe could get these people back on. <laughs> if Joe steals our David Wilcock interview, I'm fucking going to find that motherfucker. We know we know vaguely where your studio is, Joe. Yeah, I'm going to have words. Yeah. you are. We are your children, but you don't get to steal my interview. Yeah. <laughs> Joe would not last 30 minutes with David. No, he didn't do well with Tom DeLonge. You think he'd fucking be able to stomach David? Look, Joe, now I've read over 300 books on this subject. 
Although I would lo- I would love to see Joe just fucking choke him out. Like just at a certain point just yeah, get up just and just strangle him. Go go across the table, hit him with the sleeper hole. Fucking like just, Ronda Rousey just yeah. climbs up, grabs one of his arms. Yeah, just, Joe Joe would not last with this dude. No. Uh let's see. So yeah, this is when he's taking his uh, story about being Edgar Casey reincarnated to the Institute. Okay. And obviously they've been preparing for this because they have protocol. Uh, the beings told me I had to go and turn myself in and reveal the full story to the management of the ARE. They also told me that if I didn't actually go through with this, it was the equivalent of a spiritual felony, just like I would be committing <laughs> if I failed to tell the world about this story. The people at the ARE would obviously... Oh, excuse me, hold on. He talks about how... Uh, I knew it was. I was going in at a great disadvantage. I was not an unconscious channel in this lifetime. I was not having entire conversations with people in foreign languages while under trance. I was not performing health readings with an encyclopedic knowledge of the obscure medical terms. Because the editor Casey was an actual. He was a smart dude. Doctor of some sort, wasn't he? I don't, I don't know, know if he has a doctorate or if he was just very well read. Yeah, no, I know from reading. Because after a this, little I feel like I'm gonna, have to, I'm gonna have to do him too. Yeah, Edgar Casey is. I want to know about the boring lives. Yeah, he's kind of boring. Uh, in his Edgar Casey carnation, he's, yeah, that carnation was a boring dude. But he he did he came across as well spoken. So he yeah. kind of like a David situation. I think he was yeah. a smart dude who just had incredibly dumb ideas. I mean, I think he had at least for these charlatans a decent batting average. Yeah, probably he at least hit some. Yeah. Uh, Let's see. The people at the ARE would obviously want to see all of these things in full display or else they would never be convinced. Uh, I had come in as a different person with a different mission and different corresponding talents, both on the personal and the intuitive side. The Casey readings had indicated that I would be more like the priest Rapata in this lifetime than Casey himself. So So this is why he's forming the church. Yeah. Well, and this is why he is explaining he doesn't know medical jargon. Uh. So, Chris ends up calling him uh, Diamond Dave because everyone had left and he found a precious jewel without knowing that at the (laughs) same time, uh, the same name the old woman used in his lucid dream where she told him to go move to Virginia Beach. So, after that, he quit his job at the hotel soon afterward as they had worked me on a constant schedule that alternated between morning, evening, and overnight shifts every day for over two weeks straight. My sleep patterns were completely destroyed, and I was totally exhausted. So David can't even make it two weeks at a job. <laughs> he gets fired again. He yeah. just can't. He can't function in society. No, no. Thank God he's found this. Yeah. If he didn't have this, David would be either living. be the shittiest elementary school teacher <laughs> or homeless. Probably, yeah. Yeah. So, on May 29th, he finally goes over to the ARE to give his evidence. Uh, it does not go well. Now, <laughs> as I've uh, mentioned, I think, two episodes ago, yes, he yes. fails. He walks in with a printed-out copy of the combination chart showing the astonishing linkage between the position of the planets at the time of Casey's birth and the position at my own birth. Uh, he brought in portrait artists who had already confirmed that this near-perfect facial similarity was authentic. A surviving record of Casey's voice also sounded just like my own, albeit with a southern accent. (laughs) So he had voice, facial, and all sorts of recognition. But is that going to be enough? 
at this point, he goes into some weird little diatribe about a lost crystal for like two paragraphs. <laughs> okay. That he just like happens to find at that moment. All right. Maybe. Nothing else happens of the crystal. He just feels the need to tell that story just right throw then. Throw it in there. Okay. Yeah, pretty much. Uh, let's see. So he, he says of of this synchronicity, he says this was truly one of the most astonishing synchronicities I had ever had, particularly because of the timing and the gravity of what I was about to do. Just hours before Chris was moving away, I burst into tears and held the crystal next to my heart. Even Chris, if, crystal, even uh, if the ARE wouldn't accept me, and I already knew they wouldn't. I knew the truth. It didn't matter who I was before. So David spends a whole chapter talking about how he's the de- the reincarnation of Edgar Casey, only to say it doesn't matter. It doesn't matter because he's David Wilcock now. And here's how he gets away with them telling him, "No, you're not." He just stops talking about it. <laughs> well, you know that's that's one solution. Yeah, because yeah, the the institute obviously did not tell him he was Edgar Casey, and as I mentioned before, uh, Edgar Casey's son has said he is. Definitely not Edgar Casey. Yeah, so he just so he does the whole. I found the crystal and moves on to something else. And it doesn't matter who I was before. Yeah, so you you know who cares if I I just lie. Yeah. So what? So he talks about doesn't how he go, he goes on the conference tour. He wrote he co-wrote a book with Winfrey called The Reincarnation of Edgar Casey. Question mark. There's a question mark in the title of that book. Oh, excuse me. The Reincarnation of Edgar Casey? Yeah. There you uh, go. <laughs> then at, apparently at an expo in Los Angeles, uh, an intuitive had told him that if I didn't stop talking about this reincarnation story, God was going to kill me. <laughs> <laughs> that was that was just the guy fucking with him. And then uh, this same year, Richard Hoagland took me under his wing as an apprentice and urged me to drop the whole Casey story. People just couldn't handle it, and it wouldn't do me any good. I then dedicated myself more strongly than ever to pursue the hard science, since this is the arena in which much of the battle is being fought. I decided that if I did have any connection to the seemingly mythical Atlantean priest king Rabata, I had a great deal of karmic restitution to pay. My work pivoted to disclosure. I focused on revealing suppressed scientific truths. And in all honesty, I will often go for weeks at a time, if not months, without ever thinking about this reincarnation case. I rarely, if ever, mention it in my articles, conferences, television episodes, or books. I was only able to bring myself to write about the Casey connection at the very end of the creative process, just days before handing in the final draft. Oh, how fitting. Yeah, and I wonder why. Yeah. Because uh, it fucking didn't work. But... <laughs> yeah, it was a, he got busted on that grift. And then that's pretty much it. The that's ending, the book? Yeah, the ending is pretty much it. Uh, he gets a little mention at the end that just says the solar flash is a natural event and we can't change it. We're all going to die. No, remember the solar flash is going to alter oh, our DNA. Ass- yeah, and then we ascend or some shit. Yeah, and that's pretty much it. He fucking ends with Bible quotes and then Law of One quotes. So I we, think we need to take David to church. We did it, though. We fucking did it. 528 it, pages later. Kudos, uh, a, a big kudos to Jay for fucking Woo! powering through that book and uh, taking notes. This has been... That was a tough one. That was a long read. Extremely trying I, for both of us. <laughs> this, yeah, this has I ruined did, our personal lives. I did not think we were going to get eight hours out of this. Yeah, that was... Uh, it's been damaging to us emotionally. 
Yeah, I'm going to. I'm glad it's over. I'm going <laughs> to need. I am glad that is over. I'm going to need some mushrooms or something to exercise these these demons. I got to reset it. But uh, yeah, we, people, you really need to help us get in touch with David because we need to, we need to save. I, we got a correct course. Coming from my tribe, I know what it looks like when a prophet has fallen off the rails. We got to save David before it gets really sour. Yeah, the inner. He's approaching pariah levels. Yes, the core being of David is still there. He just needs to be realigned by someone uh, who who knows what direction to lead him in. Who can be critical, but also yeah. enjoys the man's work. Right. Now, and one of the other things I think is going to start hurting him is there is there has been a fairly noticeable shift in the UFO community to, to have more evidence, yeah, <laughs> yeah, evidence there, helps. Now evidence that there's helps. so many videos and cameras and things of that nature, like it's becoming much more of an evidentiary area uh, community. Yeah, David is very lacking on evidence, and as Richard, and by Hoagland, lacking, you mean uh, like none. Yeah, I mean <laughs> he's zero evidence except he just says shit, and not even evidence, just explanation. You know, he yeah. should have taken that letter from Richard Hoagland and read it a little more thoroughly because he's doing exactly what Richard warned him of. And yeah, obviously he's turned out one of his lesser works. Now the nine 11 stuff I loved. Yeah. He, but he got me a little bit there, but uh, I feel like I was sold a little bit of a different story than what I got. Yeah. We were expecting predictions. Yeah, we were expecting predictions, prophecies, but as I read it, I realized that, and maybe this was our misinterpretation, he meant prophecies that had already been proven true. Yeah, shit that already happened. So that's more of a connection than a prophecy. Well, because the way he phrased it when he spoke about it was that he had written things down and he couldn't change them, so they would either happen or not happen. I guess the 2030 shit is the only thing. Yeah. Well, and even that wasn't his prophecy. That was a date Corey Good had given him that he yeah. combined with the Pyramid Timeline dude. Yeah, that Pyramid Timeline chapter was that just... That was nuts. Like, David, you should have just cut that chapter out. That chapter provided nothing. Oh, yeah, an editor would have uh, put that on the cutting room floor. Um, But, uh... Let's let's at, wrap this up. We've got uh, we've at got some point I'll little go, Jamie waiting in the other room for us. At some point I'll go and recount to how many times he mentioned how many books he's <laughs> 300 read. Three hundred books, yeah. Because that's gonna that's gonna be my favorite takeaway. This really should have just been how I read three hundred books by David Wilcox. Because that yeah, he mentioned it constantly, consistently. Literally, literally anytime he met somebody important, he led with. I've read 300 books yeah. on the subject. And the fact that he just kept restating it within the book itself uh, is telling. Yeah. So go out, buy the book, support the man. We love his work. We need him to keep going. Yeah. We and in need, this particular uh, time when he, there's no uh, circuit for him to game the fools as they used to do to him, uh, he needs the money, I'm sure. I, so, think, uh, I think he's got a YouTube channel. Go to like yeah. uh, CosmicDisclosure.com, all yeah. that good shit. Twitter at David Wilcock. Tell him to holler at us. All right. Um... The butcher's coming. Mamba out.